Today is August 11th, 2023, and this episode premiered first on our Patreon page. So if you're not listening to this on Patreon, you're listening to this later than our patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, it only costs $3 a month, and you can sign up at chillinoinet slash Patreon. It's a great way to support our show, and you get access to episodes as they release. So um, all episodes come out for free, ultimately. Um, but if you're just looking for another avenue to support our show, that's one. And if if you're not able to do that, that's totally okay. One of the best ways to support our show is to just, you know, give us a thumbs up or rate us favorably or subscribe or tell your grandma or your friends, you know, whatever. <laughs> Everything works. Um, today I'm joined. Three bucks a month. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I try to be fair. Um, and I release a lot of content, so I'd like to think it's a... It's a good value, but as you heard, I have a guest today, Kelly. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, audience. Um, my name is Kelly Judge Goldberg, and I'm a cannabis educator and advocate. And uh, thank you for your time this afternoon. I've been really excited to speak to you. And if you can remind me, did we first, I'm going to say meet, this is the yeah. first time we've ever spoke. Yeah. Um, but did we first meet when we were doing like kind of that push to keep curbside? Is, am I correct in thinking that? Yes. Our New Year's push. It was so much fun. And people in our families probably thought we were all crazy, like we were going to actually accomplish this. But we did. <laughs> didn't we? Yeah. Hey, we did. With that, we did. And uh, we might have to do it again here in the future. It sounds like since the uh, legislative process didn't end up panning out. Um it's definitely seeming like legislators are giving me a sense anyways, that it's going to become permanent. This idea of curbside pickup mm -hmm. um, seems like it's inevitably going to become permanent. But we know that in politics, especially Illinois politics, nothing seems to be inevitable. So, yeah, I've been wondering for a while what the hesitation is, and maybe it's I just like thought of one of the hesitations. Now I've been wondering, you know, if IDFPR, which I believe is the governmental agency that came up with the ability for dispensaries to do this, it was like a temporary variance. I wonder if they are worried about, since it's only for medical. And if you think about it, the people that are medical are only the original license holders, which, you know, you hear a lot of hubbub about. And I wonder right. if, if they made that permanent, if some could view that as unfair, I didn't think about this until now. Some could view that as an, an unfair leg up, just like they've always had. And, and maybe perhaps possibly the reason that they're just temporarily extending it and, and really encouraging the legislature to take this on is so that it can be taken up in a fair and equitable way. Perhaps, I don't know. I just thought of that now though, you know? That sounds so positive and optimistic. <laughs> optimistic, and, right? Um, yeah, I, 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 my guess is that it's a bit of a pain in the tush to provide curbside because that man, means you need woman power and you have to set that up. And maybe, you know, some people are going to want to put a window in so that it can be like that. And then if you don't put the window in because you don't have the money to do that, you don't have to follow all the zoning for that. I think it just, to me, it seems like Anytime there's something that's brought up that's practical and sensical, the uh, the execution, the details of the execution and bureaucracy become the reason it doesn't happen. Um, but I think that 
uh, enough people have gotten a sense that, uh, especially since medical patients, I mean, conventional wisdom is that medical patients are generally suffering because of adult use. Um, but, but more than that, medical patients uh, should be accommodated for, especially since they were the original uh, reason that cannabis probably got legal in the first place in our state. It's like our baby step way in. And it's real. It's moms who can't, you know, don't have sitting for their kids or, or caregiving for their kids or whatever. And it's someone in a wheelchair and it's someone who's trying not to puke or whatever it is. It's a beautiful idea to not make that person go in, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And and to your point, um, one of the points I've tried to make is, and I think I even included in one of our email chains, if you go back, is some of these patients were immunocompromised before the pandemic. They were immunocompromised during the pandemic. So yeah. logically it follows they're going to continue to be <laughs> immunocompromised, right? So maybe, okay. we keep, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, yeah. I wish there was a way that, you know, but anyways, um, well, hey, I, I feel like we, and I, I know you're down to, to do that, dive right into policy, but I wanted to give you a little bit more space. Uh, I didn't realize I, I Googled your name earlier today and I saw that you were appointed in 2020 by Governor Pritzker to the Ad Illinois Adult Use Cannabis Health Advisory Committee. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. In fact, we're meeting next week. Looking forward to it. What do you, what is, tell, well, I don't, we can get to that. I can write that down. I, I, my point in bringing that up is I wanted to give you a little bit more space to just tell our audience about, about you. You've obviously got, you know, a resume that speaks for itself, but I felt like the short introduction you had just wasn't enough. I wanted to give <laughs> okay. you more space. <laughs> well, Cole, I have a tendency to go too short or too long. So we'll, hopefully this won't be the other, the other version of it. Um, <laughs> So I'm a lifelong uh, plant advocate. Uh, I come from people who loved alcohol, love alcohol, and I discovered cannabis accidentally as an alternate um, choice of recreation because I didn't really like alcohol as a young person. And then uh, I was a fast pitcher in high school and I messed up, you know, 80 miles yeah. an hour. And so I screwed up my lower, the some of the muscles around my spine, the lower part of my spine. And so I had serious back pain. And I discovered by accident how much cannabis w relieved my pain uh, because I've always tried to be as clean in the way that I manage pain as possible, which is a lot of grinning and bear it, bearing it, which isn't good for anyone, not a plug for that. And also, you know, Advil starts really bothering your stomach. So cannabis was this wonderful discovery by accident. And somewhere that was in the 90s. And that same time, uh, the hip hop culture became very uh, outspoken about the benefits of the plant in their own way. And that happens to be, surprise, surprise, my choice of music. I'm a hip hop rap girl. I don't hip hop or rap, but I appreciate the music. And I love the, the rebellious and honest, like undertone to what they offer us. And so believe it or not, I was learning about the benefits and the history of cannabis a little bit through some of my favorite musicians. And I'm a, I was a middle school social studies and English teacher for many years. And so as I was teaching history and I was teaching about cannabis prohibition, I mean, alcohol prohibition, I was simultaneously learning about uh, the prohibition of cannabis. And so um, I was discovering like so many fans uh, like us who just always thought that cannabis was going to remain 
illegal, I was I was learning as much as I possibly could. And I did begin when appropriate in certain lessons to talk about why a plant was made illegal in the first place. Um, so my my advocacy continued in that way. And then I was a mother with young children and my son went through the fifth grade dare program and he presented while I was making dinner one night, this beautiful poster that had Coke and heroin um, as bad as cannabis. And I just like stopped what I was doing, sat down at the dining room table and said, it's time we have a conversation. And I explained to him that we believe in our family, that cannabis should be legal. And I gave him a whole history about it. It's a very funny story in our family where he whereupon ripped up his poster and, um, you know, and ended up writing his uh, his English paper in high school about how cannabis should be legalized. And, and that's what we're all doing. Those of us who are advocating, right, we're we're advocating one person at a time, one family member at a time. And so, you know, my advocacy continued. My I was still a classroom educator uh, when uh, cannabis became medically legal in our state. And so. I still, at that point, couldn't be out and proud of my appreciation for this beautiful plant that's been here for thousands of years. Um, let me interrupt myself and say, so I'm wearing my favorite t-shirt, which is that mom, moms who smoke weed are not bad moms. And that's the truth. Uh, but that has been, unfortunately, a, um, a stigma associated to those of us who had the courage to continue appreciating this plant. Anyway, so now it's legal in, in le do you want me to ask me any questions or should I finish? This is me. This is like, no, I love it. Okay. Yeah. So now it's, it's medically legal in our state. I'm still a classroom teacher, so I can't be out and proud. And my husband's an attorney. And so I tell him, I mean, I pretty much insisted that he find a way to be involved in the industry. I said, we need to get our family on the map as being pro cannabis. And it just can't be me quite yet. So he did. So he, my husband, Mike, got a bunch of the conditions for um, for uh, medical patients to be able to um, use because they have those conditions. So um, that was a really exciting time for us as a family, and I'm so proud that Mike did that. And so in that way, he began doing some um, cannabis legal work where he, besides doing that, and in that way, got to know so many different people in the cannabis industry, as you can imagine, including yeah. Bob Morgan. Really quick though, what did, what did you mean by what Mike, what he did? I'd like just a little bit more oh, on that. A, a bunch of different, um, so the conditions patients and, um, industry at that point, leaders, um, hired him, hired him it was really pro bono for the most part hired him to get certain conditions to become acceptable and legal in our state so that when you get your medical marijuana card, that's what it was called at the, at the time, um, you the Compassionate Medical Marijuana Program, you you could say, for instance, that you, you have this unusual disease that nobody even knows about, and now you can have your medical marijuana card because they used to be much more particular than they are now. Uh, and which I'm glad for, by the way, if you have headaches, you should be able to use cannabis. What's the difference? Advil it has dangers in and of itself. So does Tylenol. I know I'm right. reaching to the choir. So, um, uh, so, so Mike was hired to do that. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yep. So at that point I became, uh, 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 an education and youth director 
at my synagogue. So I was leading programs um, full-time for adults and children to engage in Judaism. And so I started feeling like I could begin to dabble in uh, engaging in the industry. And very quickly, I learned how um, important it was that uh, that the adult use was going to include in it the social equity piece. We were going to be the first state to determine that indeed uh, we need to do right by the brown, the black and brown people who were disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And that was incredibly exciting for all of us um, that that happened. And I became uh, very involved at that point once there was a sense that there was this movement and I helped um, I helped evaluate uh, dispensary license applications just as a background in being an, an English instructor and a writer um, and really offered whatever I could to be helpful to individuals since it was very clear early on that people were taking advantage of that and they were charging exorbitant prices. And we all know, I mean, maybe not everybody knows, but we know uh, what happened next, that there was all of this really scandalous behavior, bad behavior um, around that. And so I wanted to be as positive as I possibly could. And so in that in that time period, um, I had also become my son's medical caregiver because he has ulcerative colitis. First, he was diagnosed with Crohn's, then ulcerative colitis. And so I helped him figure out how to navigate his digestive disorder with um, cannabis. And my dad, right before it became adult use legal, my dad got pancreatic cancer. And so my dad, who had called it dope his whole life and who I had been, I was always saying to him, look at me, dad, I'm a straight A student. I'm happily married. I've got kids. I contribute to my community and I like cannabis. Please work with me. So he's 79 and he's dying. And I asked him, can I manage your pain? Let me have the blessing of managing your pain so you don't have to get any of those hardcore drugs and numb out until you die. And he let me. And so I accessed my community and um, figured out how to manage his pain until he was in a stroke-induced coma for the last few days and was on morphine. But in asking him that moment, you know, my voice is shaking and I say to him, dad, will you let me manage your pain? It would be my blessing. And he had this hard, tough, he was a newspaper man, tough guy, you know, smoking a cigarette, even though he's dying, said, I don't have a problem with that. And from then on, this is what I got to do for him. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I could help my mom who nursed him and my dad die with a little less pain. So by the time that was over, I was just um, all in. And I had met along the way, Amanda Geddes, who became the urban egg dean of um, at Olive Harvey College. Her boss, Kimberly Hollingsworth, had the vision, the brilliance to say, hey, one of these city colleges should get in this cannabis business. And why not us way on the deep South side? We're almost, unfortunately, so many people were disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And so I got the, the privilege of helping build their program um, to what it is today. And I've been teaching in their program uh, almost as soon as classes were made available. And you know now it's moving to Wilbur Wright College which is exciting. And I'm looking forward to teaching there. And over time, DePaul, 
now has a cannabis studies minor. I teach in their program. And so it's just been such a pleasure to witness, you know, what it looks like cannabis education. There's a lot to go. And I have some very specific areas that I'm excited to make sure take place. Um, I think that's a pretty, how's that? Is that a good summary? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay. And if I could, uh, I have a question about you when you said you mentioned like kind of before, well, you would talk about prohibition in your class. I thought that would yeah. be an interesting thing to talk about. But, but before I got to that, I wanted to ask you about maybe a little bit more of a, of a like personal question. You mentioned, you know, your father dying uh, or, you know, having you take care of him and ease his pain yeah. with cannabis. Yeah. One of the things that I had to like just candidly work through in therapy was like, uh, you know, my grandfather had passed. And so before I went through therapy, I'll give you my view. And this is, I've worked through it is to let you, that's why I said that. So my view was like, crap, why didn't I like make sure that he had access to cannabis, you know, and like just fought and argued with everybody because when it comes down to it, my, my operating idea was, so he had cancer. My operating idea was like, maybe if he was able to work up an appetite, maybe yeah. then he would have enough energy to, to go outside and do something. And then like the chain of events that sets off by going outside, getting fresh air, you get vitamin D and that that's, it's like as simple as that. And, yeah. and so for a while I really like put it on myself and was gr- regretting not like fighting for that. But then I realized like at the time I was really immature, like, and that wasn't like that. I'm not even saying that as like a, like, I just wasn't mature enough yes. to articulate yes, and, and like debate my family on that. And so like when I brought up, like, cause I did, I'm not going to say I didn't, but when I brought up, it's basically, this is what it sounded like, kind of like we should give grandpa weed. And like, I wasn't able to get any farther than that. I like could point at like YouTube videos and stuff and different people's stories, but they would just be like, no, no, he doesn't need that. Yeah. You know, these, these doctors in St. Louis, they know what they're doing and all this stuff. And maybe they, I'm not saying that they didn't, but again, my operating idea was just, so my question was, um, did you see something like that? Like, you know, uh, did he, did he, did you feel that it did allow him like relieve him of his pain and, you know, give him his appetite? Like, I don't know. I'm just curious. It re- it did. So um, that's something I talk about with my students and we, and then I, 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 we have some time devoted to how do we talk to our family members and our friends about this thing that there's so much stigma and misinformation attached to so that they can benefit from the plant medicinally. And it's such an interesting um, conversation. It's so important. We all have that. Um, I'm glad that you worked through it in therapy to to free yourself um, because that's tough any age, let alone as a young person. Um, And so, and look at all the good you're doing with your podcast and you're an investigative reporter and you're shining light on the people we all need to know about and we all need to learn from. Um, and you're demonstrating yourself as this articulate, with it, smart human who enjoys cannabis. You're helping normalize the plant. Um, and so that doesn't help your grandpa, but that does help other people to maybe find the courage to help their grandpa or their mom or their uncle or their spouse or whomever. So I'm sure you talked about that in therapy, but let me also set you free of that. 
Um, so yes, my dad was at Northwestern hospital and he was treated like shit about it. They made him feel terrible. I don't need to name the doctors. They'll never probably be the intelligent enough to see this podcast, to be curious about things. But, um, there was a lot of stigma attached to it. And my mom and I got her a card and him a card immediately. So it would make it easier. So she could be his caregiver. She didn't need her card, but I thought it'd be good for her too. So she could be his caregiver and they were treated badly. My dad, it was, it was so, um, so shameful that they made my dad feel badly about becoming alternative in thinking, what could he do with this terrible de disease? I mean, he only, it ended up being like 74 days. They, he caught it at stage four because he's one of those old time Grin and Barrett guys, right? And um, they, it was very upsetting to my father and my mother, but we moved on because, oh, well, they're idiots. And indeed, it really did make a difference. And because my dad was a big smoker his whole life, I mean, he had years where he wasn't or he was sneaking or whatever he was doing it at parties, whatever it was. It was fun to watch him before things got real bad. And he needed like that next level of the live resin in the tube with the rice under his tongue before that, where he could smoke it. Um, I have a, like an amazing memory with my children, okay, uh, who were teenagers at the time or early 20s with him doing smoke rings with a joint, just taking it in. And um, it was really neat. You know, it was it was really beautiful. It did make a difference. It did help him get hungry for a little while. But with pancreatic cancer, you don't want to eat because it just that's it's, your system isn't working. But he ate longer than he would have. And it yeah. did help him sleep through the night. And we did get to a point where we were just there were so many different things that could help him get through different stages of his day because he didn't want to be numbed out. So it was intense. There was this Wonder Woman, Farah, wonderful woman, Farah. I don't remember her last name, but she was at um, Innovative, blah, blah, whatever that, you know, that one. Innovative Express Care or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's Dr. Kari's uh, practice. And she was just taking my calls. She was just like helping me with texts and phone calls. And she's a real hero. Um, I think she's still with them. So even though I'm not giving her last name, it's a shout out to her. She's wonderful. And she just was like a mensch through the whole thing with me. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you yeah. for telling uh, telling us about that. Yeah. Um. So uh, speaking to your class about prohibition, which is funny. I don't know. Like I it's I think it's because I've been covering this topic lately. If when yeah. you said that, when you said speaking to your class about prohibition, I was like, this is going to be fascinating to talk about because I'd love to hear like how the students um, are approaching this topic. But not that this matters. I just find it funny that what I wrote down was speaking to the class about prostitution and <laughs> Yeah, I we've been covering that lately I know on the you show. Have. So I know. shameless I know. plug, chillinoy.net slash sex. I think it's because <laughs> it's been on my mind. But what I wanted to speak to you about was not prostitution, but speaking to your class about prohibition. Um I gotta imagine that I mean, let me back up. You're sure. if you're talking about cannabis and stuff in general, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't sure until you had explained like you were at all of all of Harvey, right? Yeah. That's um, yeah. And are you at DePaul or was that in the past? And at DePaul. 
Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that you were doing like a cannabis thing specifically before until you had explained it. So what I was going to ask you was, I'm sure this is the part in the class where people were like, like they start, li- you know, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Cause like, I just yeah. think about in biology, there was a lot of stuff where it was like yawn. And then all of a sudden we start talking about drugs and how they interact with the human body. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, oh, listen to this chapter. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. So I wasn't the health teacher, which I wish I was, although I probably wouldn't have been able to keep my job. I was the <laughs> social studies teacher. And so it just seemed wrong to not make a quick side tangent and briefly, because I needed to be brief about it because it wasn't in the curriculum and it's also controversial, but um, because so it's it did fact- go, it did go down how I expected it. Sorry. This is yeah. just, I love this. So I'm no. sure the students were like, they were, I mean, but that's what you get from me when I'm a teacher of any age, I'm only going to be honest. You know, I was mm-hmm. pushing condoms, um, the, the, the normalization of, of condom use on my children as soon as they were twins, I'm not twins, tweens, because I just think yeah. we need to normalize how easy it is to use a condom and then you're not going to get diseases and you're not going to get pregnant unless you want to. I'm sorry. I just did it again. I just can't help myself. It's such a okay. basic thing that we all need to do. Yeah. I'm sure you talking about it in your podcast yeah. and similarly i it feel it felt very natural that to talk about the struggle that our country was having with alcohol and um and how we you know tried to make it illegal twice because there we were so concerned about it um it, it's just it's so obviously fit in as like i said a tangential sort of throwaway to talk about what's interesting is just around the same time our own country was 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 deciding that it wanted to double down on uh, removing cannabis from as a pharmaceutical um, and from all these different cultures who gratefully for us for we white folks brought it to our to our country to expand us in so many different ways as a way to be healthy thanks to plant medicine and so it was a very easy thing and their eyes would get huge. Like, did she just say what we thought she said? And, you know, I would allow a couple follow. I would sort of like leave it there. There'd be a couple follow up questions. And sometimes it went longer, depending on how bold that eighth grader was. And sometimes, you know, they were more they were a, 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 a more she, like shy group of kids that they were just taking it in and maybe they'd come in after lunch before class started and ask me a couple questions. But the purpose of me doing that is because really the at that time, the purpose of me of me focusing on that was because two things. I think a um that generally in our country there's this misperception that our prisons are full of black and brown people because black and brown people are somehow more um, more crime ridden than white people. And that's just actually not true. It's We know that white people have been disproportionately ignored as they're publicly consuming cannabis. And I had that first epiphany at a Grateful Dead show a bunch of decades ago, just looking around and loving the scene and loving the smell and digging the vibe and then going, holy moly, very few black and brown people here. And um, if they were here, I bet they'd be identified. I mean, like, it's so crazy talk. Imagine all these years of Grateful Dead shows, if those were black and brown people gathering 
to engage in this peaceful music while they were smoking. Do you think they would have been allowed to do that? Absolutely. Hell to the no. No. So, so it felt like there was that little civic piece of it, right? Social studies, we're teaching civics. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to down the line changing. Um, I really do believe that as we normalize cannabis and then we simultaneously educate people to understand its relationship to our incarceration and to our privately, our privately funded incarceration system in our country. I look forward to that then becoming like this huge, beautiful, whether it's incremental or beautiful um, explosion of understanding that the war on drugs really became the new Jim Crow. Once it was no longer legal to treat blacks the way we treated them, people who were prejudiced and didn't want them to, to succeed in our country figured out a new way. I mean, Nixon and his people, you can hear recordings of it. You can read quotes of it. They didn't, they were hiding in plain sight. I mean, they weren't, you know, so all of that's the truth. And, and when we talk about like this racial reckoning that's been happening since the unfortunate passing of George Floyd, may his memory be for a blessing. We, there's so many corners that we can look at and try to try to elucidate, shine lights on and help people understand how we got here. And I think cannabis justice is incredibly powerful as a way to start shifting things. If we can't save the older people and their misinformation, we can certainly save the younger people. Yeah. And you just inspired me to read a tweet from um, a cannabis reporter. Sorry, my audio is weird. My cannabis report, uh, sorry, a cannabis reporter. I don't mean to say my cannabis reporter. It's a okay. cannabis reporter for Politico. Yeah. Uh, their name is Natalie Fertig. And they tweeted uh, today, actually, something really brilliant that I feel like kind of relates to what you just said. Okay. Cannabis. Cannabis is the biggest legal slash policy gap between the state and federal government since the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Let me process that from that's a good one. I love that. It's a great quote. Yeah. She says, as a politics nerd, I'd be insane not to love this beat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Did you yeah. read Smoke Signals by Martin Lee yet? No. Has it suggested it? I feel like it sounds familiar. I feel like somebody has. Yeah. You must. I don't know if you were a reader. You could listen yeah. to it on Audible. And he, Martin Lee, um, he reads it, which is always great when the author yes. does the reading. Right? Right. And you're not going to believe. This, this is going to ultimately become like the cannabis history book. Yeah. Um, What's just, the author's name again? Martin Sorry. Lee. Martin Lee. Okay. It's a required reading for my students. It's... um. It's amazing. You will yeah. love it so, so, so much. Um, but I, I also wanted to get to my second point of why I always made it my business to do a, a zippity-doo tangent sure. with my students when I was teaching about alcohol prohibition, because I think it's really important for young people. I think I have a personal parenting philosophy that I've taught along the way to parents, and that is that you're setting yourself up for your long-term relationship with your kids. OK, and so if you lie to your children about like what time it is or if you lie to your children about, you know, if, if you're not true, be as truthful with your kids as you possibly can, because over time you're going to ask from them to be honest with you. 
And when they're not honest with you, you're going to be dismayed. But when you weren't honest with them and they watched that as they discovered that over time, they're going to not trust adults. And years after I had taught um, at the last middle school where I taught, a, a young man died of a heroin overdose. And he it, he had just gotten out of his second time that he was in rehab. And um, when the students and I were, were honoring his death and praying for him and doing the things that we all do after an unfortunate death happens, I had coffees with many of them, different coffee dates. And each of them so, told me separately that what happened to a lot of them is once they discovered that the grownups hadn't been fully honest about drugs and they realized that like cannabis wasn't this horrible, terrible thing. Of course, they called it marijuana. Wasn't this hor terrible, horrible thing. Then they started trying the other ones. And I, I that's a big part of why I think we need to be as honest as possible, as appropriate with young people about things like condom use and um, cannabis. Yeah, honestly, that's the argument I used to use with with people like that was my ace card argument. And and I felt like the way I would use it was like it, it maybe it's not that cannabis is a gateway drug. Maybe lies are a gateway towards people doing things you said not to do. Well, if they if they lied to me about this. What else did they lie to me about? Exactly you so. Know? And then people can talk yes. your children into something and it is better to have them informed, you know? 100%. 100%. Because if you're being honest and having those conversations, I can tell you, I had two kids. I have two kids who are now in their 20s. There wasn't anything we didn't talk about. And I wasn't nudging them. I wasn't getting in their face. They knew that I was going to tell it to them straight, whatever it was. And mm -hmm. I wasn't going to judge them or whatever. And at the same time, I was not encouraging my teenagers to smoke or to engage in cannabis. I don't, I don't want any young people engaging in alternative drugs um, without adult supervision, if they can avoid that um, for themselves, for sure. But we all know teenagers are going to be teenagers and they're going to go party one way or the other. Some of them, some of them just can't help it. That's just, that's just the story of teenage dumb. It just is what it is. So yeah. to be in a conversation with your teenagers is a chance of your teenagers surviving as gracefully as possible in my opinion yeah yeah well said um any other thoughts on just like i i love that that you had that approach where you made it quick but you also like gave it some space for the kids that were curious were there were there any like questions that you've just always thought of or kid like i don't know was there like a moment that you can recall where you were like glad you gave it that space I'm, I know I'm really, but I just find that fascinating. I feel like if one of my teachers did that, I would have been like really taking advantage of that time. Right. Well, I mean, I was oftentimes, uh, I, I have been often, oftentimes I've been told that, uh, that by a young person that they appreciate my candor and the respect that I show them as a thinking creature. Uh, and I, that's just, you know, one of my things, we all have our superpowers. One is that I completely somehow understand teenagers. Um, and I'm an incredibly mature person at the same time. So, um, <laughs> it's worked out really nicely. So there were lots of moments. One time my students were telling me that they were, they were, 
They were like, they had a hard time getting ready for eighth grade social studies. Why? Because last period we were in health class and we were talking about sex. Mrs. Goldberg just can't, this is the one of them, you know, the leader told me that. And I said, well, I couldn't help myself. And I, maybe I shouldn't have helped myself, but I did. And I said, oh, I hope you're talking about condom use. And then they got quiet. And then I did my little spiel, which included that um, don't be afraid of sex. Don't be worried about sex. Just be safe about sex and make smart choices. It's a wonderful way for people to express themselves with one another. And I just sort of went on one of those. And there was this long silence. And then I thought, shit, I overdid it. I went too far. And of course, this is not part of the curriculum. This is like class just getting started. And finally, the leader says, Mrs. Goldberg, I think you're the first, I'll speak for all of us. I think you're the first grown up that ever told us that sex is something to be enjoyed. And I said, well, let's call him Mark. Well, Mark, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm glad you've heard it from me. And now I feel like this is a conversation that should continue at your home with your families. And I just left it at that because I didn't want to over, you know, sure. over, overstate myself. But um, I do think that uh, overcorrection in general is a problem. You know, historically, it's a problem politically and it's a problem uh, in child rearing. It really is. And you're still rearing your children, you know, like until they're out of your house. So anyway, that's an example of a time. Yeah. Well, thank you for getting into that too. That was cool to talk about. Um, <clears throat> do you want to talk about, I have written down two things that you've mentioned that I wanted to talk about. We'll see which one you want to talk about first. I thought it'd be cool to talk about your role at the adult use cannabis health advisory committee. Cause I don't even know what that is. Maybe we'll start there. How about that? Okay. So the adult use health, uh, cannabis, the, the adult use cannabis health advisory committee. It's a great name, isn't it? I have to like yeah. concentrate every time someone asks me what it is. <laughs> um, it was put into the adult use bill and it, 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 it's a board that's appointed by the governor, which means legislators gave our names to the governor and he, they did a, you know, check to make sure that we're all on the up and up. And our role, our task, our purpose is to meet at least twice a year and to present to the governor a formal report on uh, what our sense of educating Illinois citizenry is all about. And um, in the bill, uh, they articulated the different categories. I love that you're pulling it up. They, they, are, they indicate the different categories of um, professionals who need to be in the room. And, uh, and so this is actually in the bill, like the exact different, how many of this category, how many of, you know, public health people and so forth. Mm -hmm. And they, I, and this, as soon as I read the bill and I saw this section, I just started, I tried to figure out which one that I could be on the board for, because they don't have a public school educator. They don't even have college professors. I mean, they have some college, they happen to be college professors, but that's not necessarily their first job you know, mm -hmm. their first goal, but they, uh, I saw that they have a compassionate um, marijuana program caregiver. And so, as I, and so as mentioned, I'm my son's caregiver. And so I just started telling anyone and everyone wherever I could, who I thought might have some influence that I wanted to be appointed with that. 
And I got lucky and I was chosen and I got to do that. And because I really nice. want to, thanks. I really want to be in the room as cannabis. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a healthcare professional. Obviously I'm not a, um, a, a, a drug um, specialist. There's so many categories that I'm not, but what I am is a passionate advocate of the plant. And I am a professional educator. I've been, you know, teaching since my early twenties, I used to teach writing at U of I. So, um, I, uh, we need all different kinds of people in the room. And so the way I would tell people that they should make sure I get appointed is that I'm not only a caregiver, I'm an educator too. So you get two for the price of one. I want to be in the room when they're having these discussions because so many people, as you know yourself, maybe better than most, don't really know about the plant. They don't understand it. And they feel like they'd probably be better off not really getting their hands messy with anything related to cannabis. That's just how we, how everyone was taught, you know? Yeah. And here's the composition of the board uh, just for folks that are watching it and want to take in a a gander. I'm not going to read all of this, but as you said, there's a lot of uh, different representatives uh, spelled out looking for the caregiver one. It's like near the end. Yeah, here it is. An individual uh, registered as a patient and an individual registered as a caregiver. Right. I'm number 19. That's funny. That was my, that's my husband's hockey number. Um, (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't realize I was 19. Well, he'll hear this. Um, It's been interesting as, so of course, COVID delayed us meeting. And then we finally did because everybody figured, well, we can all still work. We'll just do it online. Mm -hmm. And it's been, I've, I've been gratified to get a sense that over time, I feel like our board is understanding more and more the nuances of the plant, you know, and those of us who are cannabis advocates, um, Jim Camp Champion is on, on the board. Um, I can't remember. Have you ever had Carmen Brace on your show? No, I haven't. I have Oh, you should. She's a data specialist and she is smart as the day is long. Um, Yes. She's she's done some excellent uh, uh, research and data analysis for the industry and she's on it. And the three of us are pretty much the identified advocates. Um, And so, you know, we've been, we've done our part. We're, We're contributing our part. And, you know, one thing, as an example is for a while conversation, one of our meetings, uh, the um, unregulated market um, and the unregulated market participants were being referred to as black, you know, black market. And Mm -hmm. so um, that kind of a small, but incredibly meaningful shift in conversation um, is all about the incremental normalization I'm talking about. And as I elucidated the group about how we don't call it the black market because that gives it a negative connotation and it also conjures up um, a chunk of the humans who were most disadvantaged by our terrible laws. Um, and so instead calling it the illicit market, I prefer unregulated market because I think it is the most neutral. Um, you've got the regulated market and the unregulated market because um, I, I, to me, that just seems like the most generic. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like that as a binary. If you saw me thinking about it, it's just because, uh, you know, I've also been thinking about how I refer to it and I've 
probably said the black market in the past, but I've I've heard people say that you know that you should be mindful of that. So I know I've also said uh, gray market or legacy market, but one I heard recently that I really like is a uh, traditional market. I love traditional. That's great. But, I like but unregulated, I think, is a good binary if we're going to make yeah. it binary. Yes. You know yeah. What I mean? And it's it, it, right. And it's nice and um, it's neutral, which feels mm-hmm. good to regulators. Right. Right. I, I mean, yeah, I think a regulator would agree with you on that, yeah, on that yeah. part. So, that, yeah. so, yeah, making it simple is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love legacy market. Um, and, and I'll just say, too, and this is this is the advocate side of me. Um, I'm so grateful for the legacy market. If the legacy market didn't exist back when I discovered as for recreation in my high school years and then discovered it as medicine for my body in my 20s, like, right. thank gosh, thank goodness that they took those risks um, to put food on the table and and to be able to support themselves um, and had the guts, the balls, sorry to be vulgar, but it's true to do what they did. I'm so grateful. And so I'm like, I always like to just um, express appreciation because it came at quite a heavy price. Yeah. And to, Hey, no apologies needed. People always ask me on the show, like, can we curse? How long do we have? And I'm like, fuck yeah. And there's no time limit, no ads, you know, we're, we're cool. So, but um, anyways, well, that's, that's super cool to see, you know, the composition of the board. I'm just, if you see me reading through things, I was uh, wisping through the, um, Oh, I guess I'm not sharing my screen anymore, but I was wisping through the uh, meeting minutes just to yeah. see if I could gleam like, what are you guys talking about here? Um, tell me. Yeah. What do you guys, I know that it, you said you only meet yearly. So you meet twice a year. We're expected oh. to present to Governor Pritzker once a year. And then usually there's two additional meetings along the way. If um, the individuals who are creating the report want to get our sense of things, or if something comes up, there's a topic and a state uh, um, administrator or someone on the committee who wants to talk about something specific, then we do that. Um, So I would say we end up meeting four times a year for Mm -hmm. about an hour and a half, and it's open to the public. And so there's time in there, you could see from the minutes that the public does attend. Um, That's reminding me that Katie's, Katie Sullivan's board the medical board, they met Monday and I forgot to ask her about it. They did. Have you talked to her? I've not talked to her, but I was just talking to Joseph, who's also a board member. Even, um, yeah. Yeah. So, or, or on that, whatever that is, a board. Yeah. Is it a board? I, I think the correct it, way of referring I to it. I think it is. Yeah. We know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> sorry, folks, if we're being unclear, but we'll have it, you know, we'll, we'll be more clear in the future. I'll have Joseph on and we can do yeah. the, kind of the same thing where I show you the website and the composition and such. But yeah, I heard that they were going to be meeting again soon and I can't wait to hear about it. If you hear about it, let me know uh, okay, if, you know, thumbs up or whatever. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, but anyways, yeah, I wanted to give you more space uh, to talk about um, some of the things that, yeah, you guys do at the, I had to look at it, adult use cannabis health advisory committee. <laughs> right. I know it's such a crazy name. Uh, a big part of, uh, the committee's work has been to give feedback for the websites for the um, state's website that intro that uh, introduces people to cannabis and talks. It's a very harms. It, it's a harms reduction and uh, normalization of 
cannabis conversations. It's called, right, thanks for putting it up. Let's talk cannabis in Illinois or let's talk cannabis Illinois. And uh, so we've been giving them feedback as they create this. Our, we create this, I guess I should, and it's pe- members of our board uh, created and uh, have hired out other people uh, to assist with content or build it. And then mm-hmm. we're supposed to weigh in. And so what I always do before we meet is check out the latest. And then I um, offer feedback that I think would be helpful. Nice. Very cool. I'm just looking through the website. Yeah. Um, don't don't let me distract you. Um no. this is this is good stuff. I've taken a look at this in the past. Um, yeah. It's good stuff. You know, I'm I'm ever vigilant in spirit and then um trying to be patient in incremental efforts about how we honestly engage with our citizens, not just our teens, but also the adults, you know, going back to cannabis as medicine or cannabis as an alternative recreational uh, source. Um, And I do think it's improved over time. There's, you know, this gets into some of my very personal um, goals with cannabis education, which is I look forward to the state determining that we need to have uh, state standards, learning standards in the health classes that address cannabis in the most modern way, especially in our state where it's adult and medical, medically legal. And so that is like my ultimate goal is that I want to see happen and I'll feel like I can sort of rest a little bit, um, not completely, is uh, that we need to insert cannabis education into our children's education um, in the most subtle of ways so that over time, the understanding that cannabis is just this plant is common. So like as an example, I, you know how we talk about like how history whitewashed what happened because it was told by white, I love you, no problem. I've got mm-hmm. white men in my life. They're my son and my husband, but like it's been those no, two, I get according it. to white men, okay? Yeah. And I, so I, I talk about this with my friends that it, history has been greenwashed. I mean, hemp was the biggest international crop for hundreds of years. Hemp is cannabis. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because it was the source for ropes and sales. And for a long time, uh, transportation, international transportation was only on boats. And so was our, any kind of militaristic effort. It was on boats. And so that's why hemp was the biggest crop because it made the ropes and it made the sales. Did you ever learn that in World Civ? No. Well, no. Uh, I did learn about hemp rope and PE, oddly enough, but I had a very interesting PE teacher that that really got into drug education with us. Um, I think I love that. That sounds yeah. really cool. Was it good? Well, it, it was dare drug education. Okay. So no, um, okay. right. Like but it he did mention like, how. Why would he mention hemp rope? And it, it, uh, she, she mentioned uh, hemp, Excuse and uh, it's, all it's all good. It's all good. Mrs. Meyer. She okay. she uh, mentioned hemp, and she mentioned that. Um, I can't remember what the context was, 
oh, I think we were actually climbing rope. And she mentioned that rope used to be made out of hemp. Do you know what hemp is? It's it's like marijuana. And we were like, how did how do people know? And she said something about some barn catching on fire and people got high. I don't think it was a true story. You know, so she would like bring up things that like were honestly helpful, but then she would like entwine it with <laughs> some scare story, you know, like so it was cool. You know, I had awareness of drugs uh, growing up, but it was watching these like crazy dare videos where it was like uh-huh. the kids would come home after school. That was a, it was almost. Yeah, it, it would always start with the kids coming home after school and then they'd be like, I've got paint in the garage. You want to huff paint? And then it would be like, you want to do crack cocaine? Like, you know, right. like things like the kids that would never be doing. But um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So sorry, I feel like I took us off on a tangent. No, there. no, no, um, no. That's just so interesting because I asked you a question and you answered. The question was, did you ever learn that, that that hemp was indeed used for ropes and sails and also that it was the biggest crop internationally for hundreds of years? And generally, no, we weren't taught that. History has been greenwashed. We also weren't taught that the Jamestown colonists were required to present hemp as a tax, not just mm-hmm. like replace it with money and give that money. No, hemp is a tax. And on and on and on it goes um, how cannabis has been removed from anybody's understanding of, of history, of geopolitics, of health science, et cetera. And so it seems to me that someday I know you're always, always, you always, almost every episode, it seems like you find a way to insert that um, cannabis. Oh my God, I forgot what I was going to say, Cole. Oh, it's okay. I was playing a video and I probably made you lose your train of thought. You were saying always in every episode, you, I find a way I to insert. Always, always. Oh, that the plant is not legal. I mean, it's, it's not truly legal. The plant Correct. hasn't been free. We can't grow it yet. Most of us can't. Some of us can if we're patients and we can do it under certain terms. Um, but it's eventually, hopefully, cannabis is going to be like a tomato plant. Yeah. And um, so I really feel like even understanding the history of the plant and how it bopped from one country to the next and everybody loved it each time it came to a new country, it would sort of stop, take hold, and then it would travel on thanks to our uh, the individuals who would travel the, girl, the globe and sell wares and so forth or do whatever they did. Um, but understanding it, I think will, I really do think it will be a powerful shift that we maybe won't see in front of our eyes, but will happen where there'll be an understanding and a deeper compassion for um, what it's been like um, from a systemic racism perspective to be black or brown in our country. And and I'm I'm just always looking for ways that we can like right wrongs, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, been and a big that's been a big bad still happening wrong. It is. It is. And I want to get more into that. That's I was going to get into that when we talk about social equity for cannabis. And thank you, by the way. You obviously listen to my show because I definitely try to always bring that up. Like it's like I can't. Ooh, I love it. Great. It's not, it's not um, free. Free the plant. Yeah. Yeah. But I was uh, the video I was showing uh, a moment ago that I think made you lose your train of thought. And I apologize for that was I I was trying to prove add to your point of the the greenwashing. And so Mm -hmm. I'll I'll play it again just in case people uh, were listening and want to flip on their video now. I'm showing hemp for victory, 
um, which was a video that was made during World War II, released in 1942, and explains the uses of hemp and encourages farmers to grow as much as possible. During World War II, the Marijuana Act of 1937 was lifted briefly to allow for hemp fiber production to create ropes for the U.S. Navy, but after the war, hemp reverted to its de facto illegal status. Before 1989, the film was relatively unknown. The United States government denied ever having made such a film. The United States Department of Agriculture Library and the Library of Congress told all interested parties that no such movie was made by the USDA or any branch of the U.S. government. Two two VHS copies were recovered and donated to the Library of Congress by Maria Farrow, Carl Packard, and Jack Herrera. Of course. That's so cool. That's such great work on their part. Yeah. Yeah. So just to your, I wanted to add to your point and I apologize. If it, Don't be if silly. It, I'm, so, I'm glad you did. That's so important. I, um, I was just thinking, imagine if you were a black veteran who fought and then came home and were treated terribly, which is how we treated um, mostly our black veterans. And they didn't get to take advantage of the loans that we that the white people got for their homes. Imagine if you're like, oh, good, I have farming in my background. I'm going to grow hemp for a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. And if it was won't won't taken away. Like, I just have a picture of that because there are so many stories of amazing black agriculturalists. P.S. But I don't know if you know this one. Um, many slaves, not when I say many, like not a million or anything like that, like maybe I don't know the number, but I'm going to say it's somewhere in the hundreds were able to buy their freedom because they were they became amazing hemp farmers and hemp farming is really hard. And it was really hard back then. And so it became a way that their owners were desperate for hemp. And so they could could entice their slaves um, to to work that way, to, to lend their hemp agricultural um, gifts. And I, people don't know that. I mean, that, yeah, that I didn't know that. Okay. Well, I think I learned that one in, I have all my cannabis books up here. I think it was in smoke signals, but it might've been in craft weed. It's another mm. really good one. Um, anyway, it's, it's a fact. I'm not just yeah. making it up. No, that's cool stuff. That's, that's, it's good to know these things. And you know, uh, I guess just to cap off maybe, and we can move or we can continue on our health advisory committee if there's anything else to say on that. But we kind of, we, I feel like one of the things that I wanted to wrap up with the, the idea of the class and civics and everything, I'm glad that you brought that up is because I feel like a part of civics is knowing your rights. And I feel like part of knowing your rights, it's not that you spoon feed them this, but once you know your rights, you make the jump that, especially when you look at the constitution itself, that there literally was an amendment that that made alcohol illegal. And then there was another one that made it not illegal. Right. Um, that amended that. But it's like, when you look at things like that, you can take that and apply it and learn. So like I say, it's not that you'd be spoon feeding them that, Hey, right. this prohibition thing of cannabis is ridiculous. Yeah. But by learning those rights, you would n- naturally come to the conclusion of if we're in this freedom espousing country, freedom, right. freedom, freedom, why don't I have the freedom to fucking do anything? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and that's a big, that's, oh, that was a big part of my education of teenagers. Um, and of course now I, I mostly just teach adults and I still have it as a central component and that's just critical thinking. 
we're, mm-hmm. we have to trust each other to believe that young people can critically think. We need them to critically think when they grow up. So at some point we have to start encouraging that. And I think excellent teachers do that starting even in kindergarten in their own way. Um, and then that increases. And so that's exactly right. I mean, that's that's a responsibility that we teachers have is to help our students learn how to process information for themselves, to make determinations for themselves, to understand history um, in the way that they understand it, but they can't possibly understand it if they don't know the facts. And we have done a great job of keeping um, cannabis uh, potentials, the cannabis, the potential of cannabis in all its ways as a secret. Yeah. I feel like the way we got off on that, I was trying to think like, how did we get there? I think we were talking about the public education campaign that you're running or that that the uh, Cannabis Health Advisory Committee is running. And mm-hmm. I think you were saying that it's important that we kind of right the wrongs in that way by presenting correct information. And I feel like you used, that's how we got into the different yeah. things. And I brought up him for victory and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Does that get us back on track on that conversation? I was like, how did we get here? I know I it does, although I'm not sure what I really want to say next. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, yeah. Like what, what else are some things I guess that you talk about? Obviously there's this uh, public health camp, this health campaign. Um, what are some other interesting things, I guess, that, that have come Oftentimes up? we have guests either from the state or from within our, so they're not exactly guests. So either outside guests from the state who come into our meetings or um, state officials on the board who come in and make presentations about the data that's been collected. And then we have an opportunity to analyze the data and see how that um, is applied to what we're sharing going forward. The problem with data always is, is so rarely is it super current. And so, um, and there was a um, data gathering was challenging during covid depending on the kind of data that you want. Like for instance, it's pretty hard to give, um, to collect data about uh, drug use when teenagers are living a very different life than they normally do by staying inside, as opposed mm-hmm. to going to school and, and you know participating in their activities and their sports and their friendships and all that stuff. So um, I think that now that it seems like, I shouldn't say it seems, now that we are officially post-pandemic, uh, the data in the next couple of years will continue to be super telling. Um, you know, the the topic of uh, of of cannabis addiction and any data collected on that always gets brought up and always is talked about. And um, I think that that has a place in the conversation, and it always should. It it does get frustrating for me in any con in any context when it seems like that's like a lead point and like an only point for some people, um, especially because it's just such a subset of a subset. And um, it is, uh, it's frustrating for me, that piece of the conversation starts taking over. Let me remind the listeners that I did start with, it does belong in the conversation. So I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's just got to be careful with that one. It's a slippery one. It's like, it's, a, a it's like when you catch one of those big fish yeah. and you're like yeah. too close to the bay. You're like, whoa, whoa. You know, we got to get a little bit closer. <laughs> totally. We got to get farther away from the bay or the, totally the water. It does. 
It totally, for sure. Right. And by that, I mean, we need to get, we need more, as you mentioned, and we can get into this later, but the, the plant is still barely legal. So like, we got to be careful with conversations like that because yeah. if with the slippery fish, if we let it get back into the water, what I right. mean by that is we've seen that happen in Colorado where under the guise of just the things you were talking about, like use and uh, youth use and cannabis addiction, uh, you, what is it? CUD cannabis use disorder, mm-hmm. um, a group who I've had on the show a few times and I will have on again. Uh, they're one of the most well-known groups that stand for the prohibition of cannabis. Something we, oh, what group? I, I didn't see those, which what's that one smart approaches to marijuana. I can yeah, send you the, know. No, the I know. links on that. I've, I've had, uh, Jordan on a few yeah. times, but I also had Jordan on with uh, the former communications director of normal for kind of a formal debate, if you will. Yeah. But um, they were successfully able to repeal. Uh, I learned in Colorado medical patients ability to purchase cannabis. So now in Colorado, uh, medical patients can only purchase eight grams of concentrate a day. And, um, it used to be like an ounce or so you have to understand the reason that that sounds crazy is because I, as an adult use customer Mm -hmm. can buy eight grams a day, the same amount that a medical cannabis patient in, in Colorado can. And by the way, I know this isn't technically legal, but I could buy more than a medical cannabis patient in Colorado because as you know, Kelly, the way that seed to sale works with medical cannabis cards no matter where you go with that card, they're going to say, hey, you hit your daily allotment today. Well, I, as an adult use customer, and I know this isn't technically legal, but I could store right. hop and buy so yeah. much more than a medical cannabis patient can buy that probably actually needs more. Yes. Yes. Makes no, no sense. It's ludicrous. Crazy. Crazy. So, th- but that's an example I wanted to bring up. I didn't mean to make it so long as to why you have to be careful with that topic. Not that it's not a... a honest issue to discuss. Yes. But when it starts to impact people that are actually very sick and have nothing to do with youth or like, cause you have to understand in Colorado, they made it as if they made it sound like smart approaches to marijuana. They made it sound like, um, kids were like getting into gummies and everything else. No, if there were kids on the medical cannabis program, it's cause their parents were involved in that. And it's yeah. like, what you're doing, it was just the craziest way that actually worked. And I don't mean and in I, a good way, you know? No. And I think that, I think that, um, I think you bring up such an important, important point to remember that advocates on both sides are in it for the long game, whatever the, whatever the category, you know, mm-hmm. like what's happened in the Supreme courts and how we now have a super conservative Supreme court that was Mm -hmm. the conservatives playing it right and, and playing it hard for four decades, five decades. I mean, like give them credit uh, for playing the long game and Mm -hmm. getting the, getting done what they wanted to get done. And so just like, we're grateful for Jack Herrera and um, Steve and all of our cannabis advocates that were doing things, Cypress Hill, you know, from the beginning uh, I mean, not Cypress Hill from the beginning, but for quite some time. So Sam doing what Sam's doing. And I think it's really important for everyone to know if you're pro cannabis, don't get comfortable and think that everything's solved. It's not just like we've just said that that the plant isn't free. There are there are 
intelligent human beings who do not think that this plant should be legal and they feel like they're not going to rest until it's prohibited again, or at least yeah. impacted every which where they possibly can. And I think that's important for people to remember. Yeah. And I want to, I'll get us uh, back on track to what we were talking about, but I just wanted to quickly address this while I'm on the subject in case people were wondering why I've had that group on the show in the past and why I said I'll have them on in the future is because frankly, I can have that conversation and leave it believing stronger in what I believe in than what I came in as. And if you can't do that as a listener, I encourage you to just think about that, like what that means. And I, it's nothing like, I'm not saying that as like a challenge to you. I'm saying that oh. as like a think about like, if cause you should be able to hear opposing viewpoints and, and think about why maybe you disagree with them or why you maybe you agree with them. There were some things that we agreed on. Now, obviously it's not like anything <laughs> that's going to shake the shift of the earth or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to quickly address that, that that's the reason because I, I am open to talking with people that I disagree with. And I think you should, um, if, if it sounds like something you'd be open to listening to, you should check it out and, and maybe consider some of the things they have to say. And I think it'll possibly make you stronger in your beliefs or maybe make you think about why you believe what you believe. A fucking man. Seriously, so. really, a hundred percent. I did listen to the interview of the gentleman from Sam. What's his name? Jordan. Jordan. I did listen to that interview quite some time ago or whenever it was. It's like, was it during COVID? Doesn't really matter. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I didn't remember to come back and see the debate, which I was really curious about. And I'll just add to what you just said so well that, I mean, that's actually, a that's a, one of the problems that's happening in, in American politics right now is that we're not taught. We can't talk. And right. it's so important to be able to talk to your adversary, to be able to talk to someone you disagree with, to be able to talk to someone you care about and you don't have the same views on something. I love what you said. You can end up feeling stronger and even more articulate about presenting your position when you talk to someone you don't agree with. And also you might find that common ground and in that yeah. common ground, depending on the topic can be, like some beautiful discoveries and, and movement towards um, better existence. I mean, one of my favorite things about my husband is so oftentimes um, his, the, his opposing counsel will recommend him to a client in the future, you know, months or years later, because my husband is a dignified attorney. He is an attorney who doesn't turn it into this whole egregious, terrible thing. We hate right. each other. <laughs> and that's how everyone should behave in every category. But I, I, I'm just amening what you said. It's really yeah. important. I'm so glad that you have on opposing views or adjacent views. You must. It yeah. makes it more interesting and we're all better for it. And I promise you, I'm going to get get us back on track with exactly what we were talking about. But just I wanted to bring up in case people were wondering, one of the things that I got him to agree to, he brought up, yeah. you know, this idea that legalization and a parent might buy gummies and then they leave the gummies on the counter and then the kid says, oh, I want to eat the gummies. And then the kid dies, which, of course, wouldn't happen. But right. and he didn't realistically say that he was I'm being a little animated here. Yeah. He was saying perhaps a kid could mistakenly uh, ingest edibles to which I replied, perhaps they could. But I think that's a that's a conversation about responsible parenting. You know, in the house, we've got bleach, rat poison, whatever else, and we make sure our kids can't consume it. That's 
I would say not really a, a symptom of legalization because in fact, if you were to just decriminalize it, I personally like to make gummies at home and I have been since before it was legal. I'll make gummies at home. And if I had kids, I would make sure that they wouldn't consume those gummies. It has nothing to do with legalization. And they said, okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, That's so, great. Uh, it's like vodka. You don't have vodka next to the sink in a cup that looks like it's water. Right. right? Okay. So it's just about being, which is actually something that happened when I was a kid, by the way, with my baby brother, (laughs) I'm going to tell this story because I feel like my parents are past the statute of limitations. It wasn't even my parents. So my baby brother, he had to have been under one one or so like a baby. And my grandma was sitting with him at a table. We were at this party and she picked up what she thought was a cup of water because he was like, I'm I'm thirsty. So he must have been old enough. I don't know. He was indicating that he was thirsty. I don't think he was speaking, but she would give him the drink and she wasn't looking, but we were looking at him and he was going like, he would go to drink it. Cause it looked yeah. like water, but then he'd yeah. go, like do that. And I'm sure that's going to be clipped into a meme, me doing that stupid face. Um, but uh, he would make a silly face. We're like, what the, f- what is going on? And grandma, give me that cup. And it was yeah. vodka. Yeah. And he, so it, it wasn't to no fault of my grandma. It, you know, it, she just thought it was a cup of water and you don't think if there's like a clear cup in front of you, you don't think like, Oh, I've got to smell it. Like who fucking drinks vodka straight like that? Whoever left that cup there was an animal. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Totally. You know, it's it's all about responsible possession, responsible gun ownership, lock it up, responsible alcohol um, ownership, have it some, I mean, a lot of families, they lock up their alcohol so that their teenagers don't get into it, whatever, do what you need to do for your teens. And same with cannabis. It's just as common sense. Yeah. So as I promised, I can get us back on track. We were talking about the slippery fish that is uh, adult or cannabis use disorder. Again, again, let's say it one more time. We we believe it should be part of the conversation, but we're back on track. Was there anything you wanted to specifically say? I felt like I switched well, us over to Sam and stuff. No, just that that's a part of what we're doing. We're always looking at recent data, looking at uh, research and uh, and elucidating one another on uh, more recent research or um, particular insights that any of us might have because of the work that any of us might do. And uh, it's a really big board. So I'm not, I don't want to misrepresent us that we sit sure. and just shoot the shit, but, um, but these are the kinds of topics that are discussed and the chat box is really live with ongoing input and then the person who moderates it does a really nice job of including everybody's thoughts and giving everyone a chance to weigh in. So um it's really it's been you know really interesting. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well um I guess before we get to social equity in cannabis in Illinois, which is one of the things you had mentioned that you were most excited about. And as I mentioned, it's something that I always bring up. Um, anything else, I guess, particularly with just because I've never talked to anybody, I didn't even know this was a thing until, like I said, I Googled your name today. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything else notable that that's worth mentioning? Um, you mentioned the public education campaign. You mentioned, you know, talks about very serious issues that deserve to be discussed. Um, anything else that that you all do? That- no, but I'll be really curious to see. And this is something that's that's um, personal for me, obviously. Um, but pertinent to all of us, I'll be really curious to see indeed what our role is as uh, there starts to be an understanding that health education is going to have to 
make some adjustments. Um, so be, I'll be curious to see if, if that's like, if we're going to work on that in conjunction um, with the state, if, if that's going to be something more that Katie's um, the board that Katie's on that we mentioned and Joe Friedman and, and um, Dr. Mendoza um, and others, obviously we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I'm just going to be curious to see because the let's talk cannabis campaign was so um, it was originally teenage, you know, with teenagers in mind um, and, and parents then event too. I'll be curious to see if that's where it is, wherever it lives. I want to be involved. Yeah. Um, just to put it in the back of your brain, it's obviously it's, I don't think it's on the website now because uh, I look for it all the time on different things. There used to be on the Illinois, one of the Illinois cannabis websites, there was language for, for an FAQ that did acknowledge that gifting was legal. Um, and then it got taken down mm -hmm. and then it got put back up. I'd spoken to the CROO about it on my show. And I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not bringing that up because that has anything to do with it being back up. I'm just saying that after they redesigned their website, which is after we chatted, it was on the website and now it's no longer on the website. And I can actually, oh prove, I can actually prove all of that. Like literally I did prove it all and you, and I still have the links. So if folks want to like replicate it themselves, they can pull up all of the versions I'm talking about. You should um, put that in. Like you always put the notes. You should put those in the notes. What do you mean? Oh yeah, no, I did. I did. I put oh, them in the notes. I'm saying for this one. Oh, for Good. this one. Yeah. I can put it in the notes. I'm trying to see what the episode was, was called so that I, that people uh, can also look it up. Um, but anyways, I'll find that in a moment. But what I was asking you while I look for that is, yeah. do you think yeah. that I could put that in the back of your brain as something that's maybe added to the let's talk cannabis? Cause there's a lot of good stuff about the, and I know that you may not have, I'm not saying that you're like the person that types the stuff on there, but just I literally am not, but I do make recommendations. And the reason that I brought up that whole, we no longer, we say illicit or more importantly, unregulated, um, uh, is because I made that suggestion and it was heard. So it, all it took was me yeah. suggesting it and describing it rationally and they're rational, good people. And they said, okay, so that's a shift. So that's the kind of influence that any of us can have really on this board, unless we're the decision makers. Um, but so I could suggest it uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So uh, it just for folks that are listening and want to see it themselves, it's episode number 297. And I can even show right now, this is the email that I exchanged with the state. Um, this is from the podcast. So I pasted a snippet that seems to no longer be available. And at the time, they confirmed that my like legal interpretation of it was correct, but they didn't under they did not address why it was no longer there. But like I said, I was able to pull up on the Wayback Machine mm -hmm. the first time it was there. You can see it right there as a question. Can I give cannabis as a gift? Mm -hmm. And this is on the old Illinois.gov cannabis FAQ. And it says, yes, as long as you are the person giving it uh, to a person age 21 of up and you 21 plus and you do not give any form of payment in exchange, which is how I understood it to be. 
how would they take that off? I don't understand. That's not a bad thing. That's like giving a, you go to someone's house and you bring a, gla- a, a, a bottle of wine. Right. And then here's how it was on the new website when they redesigned, um, which it's no longer up there. So if you go to the new website today, it looks like this, but they took down the box. So if, wow. you, if uh, I think I'm going to about to find it, sorry, I'm like watching an old podcast where I do it. Oh, here it is. Can I give cannabis as a gift? Mm-hmm. And you click on it and it then it says, yes, as long as the person you're giving it to is age 21 plus and you do not receive any form of payment in exchange. Mm-hmm. So yeah, folks, check out the episode 297 and you can replicate this on your own computer. I gave you all the links that I had and you put it into the Wayback Machine. So if you go to the links now, it says page no longer available. But if you put it in what's called the Wayback Machine. Explain that. What is that? What's the Wayback Machine? I've never even heard of this. My librarian taught me about it in grade school. So so if, if you have a URL, for example not trying to like, okay, I'm doing a research project right now for the history of cannabis in Illinois. And if folks want to see the first part of that uh, episode 232 of our podcast, we actually, you can download the document that I made for absolutely free. It has citations for everything that I say, but what you'll notice about some of those citations is some of them might be broken. You go to the link and it's broken. What the heck, Cole? Uh, so what you can do is you can paste the link in the Wayback Machine. And for example, a lot of the old grown in articles are unfortunately broken. I know. I, I know. So, Kelly, if you want to e- read some old grown in articles, paste those links into the Wayback Machine and it'll pull them up because it was archived via the Web Archive, which is one of the best projects that humanity has ever done. It's, you know, they're trying to preserve the Internet. Um so you can probably even go back on the web archive and see old versions of my website, chillinois.net, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know if they're crawling and, but maybe they are, but anyways, yeah. So way back is machine, way that's back what it is. Is it a website? I mean, like, do yeah. You just, oh, yeah. So just you, you Google the way back machine. Thank you for asking this. It's good to show people how to do this. So how about we just yeah. show really quick. I love that. Do that. Yes. So I'm Googling the way back machine and you see, hold on, I'm sharing my screen. So you can see the internetarchive.org, or sorry, archive.org, and it's an internet archive. And you take whatever link and you put it right there. So why don't we just do chillinois.net? Do it. For giggles. I'm probably going to regret doing this. So what you can see is copies. Whoa, somebody used to own it back in 2006. That's kind of crazy. I didn't. I started owning it in 2020. So maybe we can see what was it in 2006. I was in like the second grade oh i'm my just God. curious <laughs> this might actually take a little bit longer than i intended so that's what it looked like everything illinois basketball wow so that's what it was back in the day on that was on like some day in 2006 but if i go to 2020 let's go june 16th 2020 and see what chillinois.net looked like brother's birthday Oh, that's your brother's birthday? That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can see our old webpage, which had our Reddit linked. We used to have a Discord. Um, but our webpage no longer looks like this. So if you go hey. to it today, if you go to Chill and cool. Wine, Yeah. So you know you see what I'm saying? Yes, so I love this. 
So with grown in and the old articles from grown yes. in, okay, you can paste those in and you can get access to those old articles. So, so. I'm, you just did a public service announcement that your at, at librarians everywhere will appreciate. Well, That's shout cool. out to my librarian for teaching yeah. me that because it's something I just thought about the other day and, you know, kudos to her Sure. Um, because it's awesome. So did you have chillinois.net? Are you saying you have that as a second grader? No, no. I was, I was joking. Oh. I was, I was okay. saying that I was saying somebody owned it obviously in 2006, but yeah. it wasn't me because I was a second grader around then. Probably. When did you start the Chillinois podcast? 2020. Wow. Yeah. Three years. Wow. Three years now. So, but I wanted to show you another just example of a great use of the Wayback Machine before we um, continue. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Wayback Machine. (laughs) Yeah, I promise I don't get any royalties for it. So let's look at this old article from Grown In was opposition to cannabis legislation a red herring and you'll see that for some reason god damn it brad we need to talk yeah. where's the article right um so uh no offense brad but you know you know i value your content dude sure. um sure. so i can go back to june 17th 2021 and i can check out this article which is very helpful for my research because i need to know what the hell was going on and they did such great work yeah. The folks that grown in. Um, Why do I so, miss Mike? Yeah, I do too. I'll actually be speaking to him here in the future. Um, so, uh, but uh, well, as you can see now, I can read the article, yeah. which is great because this is actually a really, really important uh, part of cannabis history. When, uh, a, a, according to this report, lobbyists from GTI were hired uh, to stop a bill that was meant to benefit our social equity um, licensees. So this, of course, is very important for my research. Um, But there's another really good use of the Wayback Machine. So thank you for asking those questions because it gave me an an opportunity to hopefully teach people some things. And and maybe when they go through that document of episode 232, um, if some of those links are broken, then then the, and if they want to like read more for themselves, because I always encourage people to look at the citations and check out like what I'm saying versus what was actually reported, um, you know, because some of it I do. There's a little bit of my opinion in it, but I am trying to keep it primarily fact based. You know what I mean? So I include those citations so you can look them up, and if they're broken, use the Wayback Machine. So you do a really nice job of that. Uh, by the way, I know that you try really hard and it's nice to cite your sources and to direct people to how they can get the information themselves and make their own determinations. Can I ask you another question about what you just mentioned that you're doing this, um, history of cannabis in the state of Illinois? Where, what are you doing that for? Have you talked, have you talked about it and I missed it? Uh, yeah, I've talked about it. I'm doing it though, to just quickly answer your question because I'm freaking crazy. I don't know why you're doing it for you. I guess. Good. Excellent. But it's- like you, you'd have to understand like this is, I think I'm going crazy because I'm at page like 80, 92. Yeah. And I'm only at February 23rd, 2021. I started in 1978 though. So yeah, that's, no, it's a good time to start, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And- 
this is an ongoing story, but there's a lot going on and people don't know. I'm so glad you're doing it. It's really wonderful. And it's, it's just tough because, you know, you look at history and it's reported by so many great people like grown in and there's diff- the different reporting though. Like MJ biz daily did a lot of really good reporting back in yes. the day. Marijuana and, moments, it, some good heads and definitely had some good content. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it gets, it gets lost with time though. And so I I want to, I'm trying to put it all together in one document so that people understand how we got to where we are today. And we started in 1978. Maybe this will be a good segue into social equity because that's when the graduated set of penalties for criminal penalties for cannabis was originally established. So in other words, you have this much you have this much amount of cannabis, well, then you get this much amount of jail time. Well, you have this much amount of cannabis, you get right. this much of jail. Like it right. kind of, the, right. the more you have, the worse of a person you are. Right, for um, sure. Right, just because you're so bad for society. Yeah, and so, so that that's why we start in 1978 because as I've tried to point out, and as you said, I bring it up in every episode, a lot of those penalties from the Cannabis Control Act of 1978 are still alive and well. Like the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act basically just decriminalized amounts of cannabis, 30 grams or less um, for it, for people in Illinois, of course, people out of Illinois, as your website says, um, or as the Let's Talk Cannabis Illinois website says. um, Definitely not my website. Not (laughs) your website. Uh, As the Let's Talk Cannabis Illinois website, the Illinois Department of Health, right? Is that pretty much something like that, human services. I think it's the Illinois, yeah, human services. Uh, Their website, just to be more accurate, mentions that the possession limit is half for those of folks that are not from Illinois. So Mm -hmm. I've spoken to attorneys that people will have an ounce because, you know, sometimes you visit two pot shops and generally speaking, an ounce is legal legal in every state that's legal. And so you figure you can carry that much. Well, if you're not from here, you can't. (laughs) <laughs> so that's right people get, people get in trouble for that well yes. maybe to start off our conversation and just because um i love that we can take the time to do this i've got this report it's the headline is despite legalization mixed messaging surrounds marijuana in illinois and it came up in my research do you want to watch it with me love to cool let's do it because it touches on I think the the topic that we're talking about and it also kind of plays on some things that you might be able to correct for our listeners so cool yeah um cool put it on one of my bigger screens and watch yeah it's fun to be able to do this i love this yeah wgn's done some nice uh reporting i actually showed this to one of my classes let's watch this is this is a really good video yeah Investigates weed warrants and widespread confusion. It has been more than a year since state lawmakers decriminalized marijuana here in Illinois. But despite that, the black market is alive and well. And investigator Ben Lee is here now with more on the story tonight, Ben. Ray and Micah, Illinois cannabis sales got off to a fast start last year with dispensaries selling nearly $700 million worth of recreational product. It is seeing green. Some are seeing red at the mixed messages on marijuana. In 2019, the governor made good on a campaign promise. 
signing a bill to legalize recreational marijuana. Uh, as we stand here on this historic occasion, the change in law brought lines outside dispensaries and a windfall of $162 million in tax revenue for the state. But according to law enforcement, what legalization has not done is put drug dealers out of business. Despite the legalization of cannabis, the black market for cannabis has absolutely continued to thrive. Police say it's a matter of simple economics. So they can sell it for quite a bit less than what they're selling at the dispensary, and they're putting more money in their pocket. Which is why in Kane County, the sheriff's office says it is still seizing large quantities of illegal cannabis during traffic stops like this one. Hey, how's it going? I'm Deputy Watson with the Sheriff's Office. Your license and your insurance? How come you're shaking? You a little nervous? You smoke a little bit of weed in the car? You don't have to be so nervous. Have a seat in my front seat. A roadside search of the man's rental car led to the seizure of 47 pounds of illegal cannabis products. Tubby. One pound, not one pound, including more than 1,000 THC edibles labeled as nerd candy ropes. In all, a combined street value of $100,000. We just we just keep running across it, so my numbers are they're high. So much so, they're running out of space. So this is one of our storage areas that we had to come up with. Um, we've run into so much cannabis over the, over the last year that we we've run out of places to put it. Most of it intercepted on its way from the West Coast, brought here by road or rail, and sometimes hidden in containers like this one. Just about a pound here, uh, and inside the container that it was in, there was over a thousand pounds of a child's playset. That's what was being shipped cross country. With 1,000 pounds of marijuana inside. There is a lot of high quality marijuana and other THC products coming in through the black market. The problems have grown like weeds since legalization, and they're felt in cities as big as Chicago, in suburbs as small as Lansing. That's a situation where we do continue to get calls from neighbors. They're complaining that there's people showing up in the street, coming out, buying the marijuana. They're doing it in plain daylight, plain sight. Police say they continue to go after drug dealers, even for selling small amounts of marijuana, because they say it leads to other, more serious crimes. And that's the biggest thing that we're afraid of. When people are selling drugs in neighborhoods, we're afraid that there's going to be robberies that are associated. I just wanted to pause it for a moment. I did not like the imagery that they used to associate people that sell cannabis as if. Are you reading my mind? That's what I was just thinking. I, yeah. I, I, it's so infuriating. Yeah, but we'll we'll continue here. Okay. My apologies. With it. Among their recent busts, seizing marijuana like these bags hidden in a can of Kool-Aid and THC edibles packaged to look like candy and chips. Police say they found it all in this man's apartment. Our guys are out there doing the job. But others are angry about the mixed messages on marijuana. Some prosecutors say it's not a priority, but police keep making arrests. Because the last time I filed a complaint. Lorinda Welton, a retired teacher and grandmother, says Lansing police have raided her home. Not once, not twice, but three times no. in recent years. But I always hear screaming and hollering initially as if there's a big argument, and then there's a big bang. It's a constant bang, bang. Every time kicking down the door in the early hours of the morning. I'm standing up the first time it ever happened at the top of the stairs to a light shining on me and a gun. It was a rifle. 
it's her house, but she's not who police are after. They were looking for her eldest son, a former pro basketball player in Europe. They allege, per this search warrant, is selling marijuana on her block. Yeah, this is the door. Most recently, when police raided her home last October with a warrant alleging that he was dealing out of her house. You can literally see the imprint of the battering ram. They didn't find her son. It's a big hole that went straight through. Or evidence of his drug dealing. Now, this is my beautiful new door. Leaving her to pick up the pieces. The new door was 275 and installation was $300. Lansing police had previously arrested her son on marijuana-related charges, but the stiffest penalty he received was probation. Then, last week, he was arrested again, this time for felony marijuana distribution. If critics see the Cook County Courthouse as a revolving door for drug offenders, it's Ms. Welton's door that has come to symbolize the futility of waging an old war on drugs in a new cannabis climate. It, it seems like a repeating circle. So how do we break that? <laughs> There's gotta be consequences to your actions. Uh, there's got to be some consequences and people need to go to jail, unfortunately, to, to make this stop. But even he acknowledges his cops can make cases, but if prosecutors don't prioritize marijuana crimes, the cycle continues. But they don't understand that, that marijuana use and the selling of it, that is a serious issue. That leads to so many more problems for us. To be clear, it is legal to possess less than 30 grams of marijuana in Illinois if that marijuana was purchased at a dispensary. Now, selling the drug without a license... Really quick, the law does not say that it has to be purchased by the dis uh, from the dispensary. I'm going to let this clip continue, but I just wanted to say that. Since obviously that's not allowed. There's only a few and more seconds. there are more than 80 dispensaries open statewide and another 75 in the pipeline, please don't expect the black market to cool anytime soon. It just seems like there are a lot of gray areas there. Well, yeah, in, in the case of the woman whose home keeps getting right. raided, she's like, well, why, why are they busting in my door after mm -hmm. midnight over something that Illinois says is legal? Right. Well, police say when you're dealing drugs, allegedly, that comes with guns and that comes with robberies and that comes with other issues, yeah. and the neighbors complain. But you can see it is a circle yeah. because they're mm -hmm. making the cases and Prosecutors, you know, are saying, well, we have other priorities. Yeah. All right. Thank Putting you, Ben. Putting light on it. Thanks, yeah. Ben. Right. I mean, the po prosecutors aren't looking to, to snag cannabis um, criminals. That's not a priority I would, I think we could all agree. It wasn't, it hasn't been stated outright, but right. We know that that's not happening. That's not a priority. So why are the cops so obsessed with it still? I don't understand that. That's confusing to me. I love how the woman did. That was so such a badass way to just show the old door, show the new door, and describe how much it cost and how much installation it was. That was excellent. She was a fabulous interview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just, um, before we get back to her, that cop, yeah. people need to go to jail, he says, to learn. And it's like, hold on, though. Didn't we, isn't that what we, like, acknowledged did not need to happen anymore with yeah. cannabis yeah. legalization? Like. Yeah. Yeah. How are we <laughs> seriously? Like it's crazy. It's so crazy. It really I, is. It's a, it, it's so wrong. There's so many other important things that we need. I'm I'm grateful for police. I really am. And um sure. I want them. I'm I want them in our lives. We need them, unfortunately, because we humans are are not perfect. But um 
the work of cannabis possession uh, uh, in the traditional market um, is not something as a citizen I'm, I want my cops to be doing. That's not what I want them to be focusing on in the least little bit. I really don't. Yeah. And so that's an interesting topic. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but like, why is the traditional slash legacy market continuing? I have a lot of thoughts on that. I don't know if that's what you want to talk about. If you want to talk about something else, that's cool. No, I'd love to hear that. I just, uh, I'm glad though, that bo both you and I, before we do that, I'd love to hear, yeah, your thoughts on that. Um, why the legacy market is continuing, but um, I'm glad that we both recognize the imagery, but also the, the discussion, you noticed even the reporter was repeating what the cops said that with, when you sell drugs come the guns and the blah, blah, blah. Like it's just this line, this tale, this tale as old as time, you know? It is. Um, so I just, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and the, and the media does that. I mean, the media is capable of perpetuating any lie. And, and that's, that's been a, a, a continuing thread throughout. Interesting. I, I'm not a huge Sanjay Gupta fan, but I really, I very much admire when, um, People go on the record for or against something, and then in their lifetime, they switch and they go off or for the thing that they were for or against. And I love that about Sanjay. I'm 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 glad and for all of us that he's now understanding the cannabis is something that should um, that offers medicinal value in our lives. And he did you see he's doing this whole he did this whole thing on CNN and that's super positive. I'm grateful for that. That's sort of like what we're all supposed to do, aren't we? Aren't we supposed to learn? grow and when we shift out ourselves is like hey i'm a learner of life and right. i i know things different than i once did i'm grateful and you i know? think it's powerful to be able to say that you aren't your ideas and that maybe you had those ideas in the past but you yes. aren't you don't believe those ideas anymore and you've changed right. your ideas because yeah. again you're not your ideas you have yeah. ideas yeah you know they come and go sometimes That's right. <laughs> right? That's right you know um before before i let you loose on the um why the traditional market is going down. I just also wanted to make the point, like they're breaking down this lady's door. And even if that guy was there that they're like looking for, like is breaking down the door, the answer, like he's been busted a few times. Like I'm sure like at a certain point, if they come by they're like, Hey, he's gonna be like, all right, guys, let me just like, do you, we know where you live, you know, right. like, do you, do you right. have to bust the fucking right. door down? You just knock, just be like, come on out. Like, do you have yeah. to write? It almost feels like an SNL skit. You know, it was sadly, I'm always looking for the humor. It's, uh, yeah. it, 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 I mean, if we're not going to cry about it, then we can laugh about it. But right. like the desire to knock down a door. And there are so many examples of that in these stories that we learn about where things aren't um, appropriate and certainly actually egregious. And it's the knocking down of the door. I wonder if that's just like part of their training. And and I'm not even being silly when I say this. You know, if you're a physical human, you need to be physical. And so I'd rather that they are given the opportunity to, you know, work out or be healthy or have a place where they can go knock down doors to get it out of their system so that they don't need to do it on the job. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to deny a person the desire to use his body to do something strong, but like go do it in a healthy way. Stop knocking down people's doors who are yeah. like me selling cannabis. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah, I can't. I can't remember exactly what he said about it, but I had this uh, former law enforcement officer on my show, and they spoke about the just the weaponization and militarization of police. And I can't remember what exactly he said, but and I bring it up, and I can't even remember what the dude's name is. I'll try to think of it before the end of the show, folks. If you want to check it out, but um, I wanted to let 
That's another really interesting area to, to, to get into another time mm -hmm. or with some other people, just like how um, there actually was a movement um, in the late 90s of some um, police enforcement gentlemen who started a whole movement uh, uh, against or for the um, legalization of drugs. I don't know if you know anything about that. Have you heard about that? Have you read anything about that? Is it's it really? Is it law enforcement against prohibition? Maybe it's, it is. Look at you. Yeah. No topic. I mean, literally, what don't you know? But yes, it's law enforcement against prohibition, and so it, it was really powerful. And sadly, it went pretty much nowhere. Yeah, we so we had um, Howard Woldridge on episode number two sixty six, who I believe he was one of the original cool. people on that um episode 266 but then trying to look for the other episode with the the other cop i had on but i'll, I'll return to that in a little bit do you yeah. want to um unless you had anything else to say on militarization on police i was going to let you tee off on uh why the you know gray market or traditional market continues i mean i think there's a whole bunch of re reasons uh one of the reasons is that the, the, as we know from every article anyone's read in the last year, um, Illinois is selling like at the or among the highest prices um, in any of the states of cannabis. So we're charging really high prices. And um, the average person, if you use cannabis as medicine, your medicine isn't insured. So right. um, that just means it's that much more expensive. And people who use cannabis as medicine, they're, they're, they're buying it um, in, uh, their doses require them to purchase rather large amounts of cannabis, whether it's gummies or it's suppositories or, or, um, or distillate, whatever it is. And so, uh, there it's, it's costly. And then if you're just the average woman who wants to recreate with cannabis, the dispensary prices are much more expensive than what used to be uh, the legacy traditional market prices. So there's a real, there's a market for affordable cannabis and that's where that's coming from. And I mean, that's a piece of it. That's an important piece of it. Yeah. Another important piece of it that's been like the biggest Shonda of the whole thing is like, why? Um, and it's just because of the stigma, I suppose, but in, you know, in the, in the fantasy version of cannabis becoming legal, we bring in our legacy traditional market business people, and we we bring them into the fold, let them become bosses in the industry, let them become leaders in the industry, and we take beautiful advantage um, to their financial benefit. They, they are benefiting the most individually of their knowledge and their experience. Right. And so, you know, like we've we've strangely legal cannabis has in certain ways put people out of work and- um, And almost and, shrunk their uh, hiring pool. Correct. Almost yeah. shrunk their hiring pool, put them out of work. And um, it's just it's just another in the list of grievances around you know how the illegalization of cannabis um, has been such a, a strain and a drain on- um, on our black and brown folks and on and in general on individuals who are from who were maybe you know middle class or lower middle class and trying to find a way to make a lucrative living 
I mean, there's so much of like capitalism and who we are as a nation and how we treat our workers. And there's so much that goes into the cannabis, this part of the cannabis conversation, you know, the economy, our economy and, and our workforce and so forth. Um, but what we're, but what we're seeing is not, it's not like this, this, um, this myth of like people who like want to continue breaking the law. It's not about that. It's like about how to make a living. And remember if you, if you've been imprisoned and you try to acclimate back to, um, society outside of prison, we don't do a great job of inviting our previously incarcerated back. We don't. And it's like, it isn't enough that they were imprisoned or slash, you know, incarcerated. Now they also have to pay the price of like having this permanent P on their foreheads for prisoner. And so, um, you know, remember when we became adult use legal and medically, like if you had anything to do with cannabis and a record, you were not allowed anywhere near the legal industry. And they did that. I'm my understanding is or is a Sorry, I, I, you actually said it perfectly, and I said or, but you're right. In the industry, and I meant what I was going to say is or as a patient, which is basically in the industry at all. So sorry. I no, didn't that's okay. That. It's no problem. But if you – oh, shoot. This is just me. This isn't you. I don't remember what uh, exactly – Criminal. You were saying if you're, uh, you, know, you get a criminal record, you're prevented from getting in the industry. Getting anywhere near the industry, in fact – you were even limited about if you could even possess cannabis. It's 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 really been um, it's really been incredibly unfair, and uh, those kinds of things should have been considered when it was becoming legal. But the point of the matter is that there weren't people who understand the plant and who understand the long term impact on the illegalization of cannabis on different sectors of our citizenry. They weren't in the room. They didn't have a say or a vote. And so legislators who, I mean, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, were doing the best that they could, did not have all the information they needed. And we all know that the best decisions come from as much information as you can possibly have to make a thoughtful, critical decision. And so it's always been a, 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 a pain for me, many of my students, um, some of my students have been previously incarcerated or impacted because of a, a family member, a loved one um, was imprisoned, or even if you just don't even get imprisoned, but you get arrested. The arrest, depending on how that goes, that's there forever. Right. And so, and then, and then that's like feeding into people who are racist or let's say best case scenario, just ignorant and they don't know, um, then there's this like predisposition to not respect them or think of them as like actual, amazing, contributing, beautiful citizens, which they are. So so the legacy traditional market still existing has to do, in my estimation, based on cost of product in the regulated, in the dispensaries. And 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 that's not just for recreation, that's for 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 patients. And then also just from this like basic workforce and business leadership um, perspective that um, legacy and traditional market participants were shunned from. Yeah. To reset my microphone. Can you hear me again? Yeah. Cool. I can hear you. Um, yep. Yep. I can hear you. Yeah. My mic was just 
bugging out. Yeah, no, very well said. Very well said. And yeah, I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt as well. Like you noticed earlier, I try to come up with the most optimistic, you know, take on it. Um, I, I get, I do get frustrated when, you know, we read one of the stories we covered in Illinois cannabis history that I don't know that many people know about that I was about to bring up was that, um, well, let me just say that on May 31st, 2019, Representative Carol Ammons gave a passionate speech after the House vote, which ultimately led to cannabis being able to be uh, legalized. Um, once the House approved the bill, uh, it had been already passed by the Senate. So J.B. Pritzker almost immediately issued a statement in which he promised to sign a bill that he said offered, quote, the most equity centric approach in the nation. And um, I encourage everybody to check out Representative Ammon's speech. We're not going to watch it today, um, but it is covered in episode 232. Uh, we also have the speech recorded so you can listen to it. Um and it's a very, very good speech in which she says she does not feel like uh, the war on drugs would end. Very uh, poignant. Um, and, you know, you look back at these comments she made and it's like all these things she ended up seemingly being right about. Um, she filed her bill on February 8th, 2019. It was the first bill to legal. It was before the cannabis regulation and tax act and it would allow residents to grow up to 24 plants at home and it was reported that the measure was unlikely to pass at the time uh quote because lawmakers are expected to act on a more restrictive proposal that's been in the work in the works for more than a year end quote um so one of the things, like I said, that people should really look into just with the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act is some of those comments that I think Representative Ammons made um, regarding the shortcomings of the law, because that's a lot of where I'm coming from, you know, and it wasn't until I really did this deep dive that I read this speech and watched this speech and was like, wow, somebody was saying it way before me. I just noted it. I've been taking notes our whole conversation and I'm really looking forward to going back to that episode. There's a couple different pieces at times you've mentioned it today. I'm going to go back. Yes. I really want Sorry to keep plugging my own things, but I'm trying to Are spread the I'm plugging it too. No, this yeah. is good. This is information. You they should. I'm I look forward to hearing it. I don't know. Is she still is she still involved? Is she still a legislator? Mhm. Mm yep, we're working on getting her I, on the show. Yep. Okay, because I don't hear I don't feel like I've heard much from her in my coalition work and my policy work um, as an advocate of cannabis. Maybe she, I don't know it. Do you know, has she stayed in like involved? Well, the most recent involvement I've, I can tell you that I just researched the other day for sure was on February 10th, 2021. <laughs> you know how I just got the dates right. KWQC reported that quote, an Illinois house Democrat hopes to help more people get previous cannabis charges expunged from their record. Representative Carol Ammon says some still face a barrier because of the drug test required before the expungement. And as you know, that actually went away. Um, so so she, it, and so what I've heard about her is she's very principled in what she stands for. Uh, she will only stand for things that she feels do lead to what she calls the, no, you're fine, man. Um, that she 
pushes for things that um, lead to the true legalization. Yeah. And so, for example, yeah. if something comes up and doesn't have home grow in it, she won't sign it. But for things, that's what I've heard. That's okay. what I've heard. I don't want to speak for her. I will have her on the show yeah. in the future, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, folks. Uh, so, so that's another example though, of her doing that, um, the expungement thing. I mean, she fought for that and made it happen. That's right. um, yeah. That's, yeah. That's been fantastic. The one thing I just wanted to say about her that I was oh, looking let me just for, say, I just said that's oh, been fantastic. And I just want to say, but slow and painful for lots of people. I mean, it's like good that it's happening and at the same time, it's still slow moving and frustrating. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. no, but it's been good that that's no longer a barrier. I get what you're saying. Thank you for clarifying though. Um, Just really quick, this is what I was ultimately really trying to find. Um, On June 5th, 2019, which is after J.B. Pritzker, I believe actually signed it into law at that point. It didn't become effective yet. Um, I could be wrong on that. Uh, I think it's actually later in the month. I think it happened after my dad died because my dad died in June. Yeah, no, you're you're actually right. It was not signed into law until later. Um, My apology. Thank you for 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 that. Um, But on June 5th. Um, 2019 WILL reported that state representative Carol Ammons did not vote on the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act because she didn't have a chance to express her concerns about the legislation. She felt concerned that people will still be charged with cannabis offenses under the new law. Mm -hmm. Ammons was reported as saying, quote, I think it's a step forward in the right direction, but it does not completely legalize marijuana in the state of Illinois. There are still penalties involved and included in this bill that could result in criminal action against people who may or may not understand what legalization actually means in implementation form. Gosh, so poignant. She says, I was so concerned about that, and I wanted to make sure that the public understood that the bill itself still included points where criminalization could take place. She was right. God, you know, and the point she actually used is she said, quote, if you're caught with 31 grams or above, there's still penalties included in the legislation. So you can get a misdemeanor. You can still get a felony. I was very concerned about that point. I so, look forward to looking into to who she has been legislatively for our state. That's really cool. Thanks for yeah, yeah. I can't that. I can't speak to to how she is on other topics, but I can say that on this topic and at least what she said on the record are things that I sit here and I go, Amen. You know, like yeah. hell yeah. yeah. So, um, cool. sorry for taking so much airtime to to make that point, but um. I feel like we've been kind of spider webbing on social equity. The point we're making is kind of the point she called, I guess, all the way back on June 5th, 2019. Yeah. Um, what what else do you think we should like? What, what else do you think we should cover with respect to this topic? You know, what, what other thoughts do you have? To the topic of social equity and cannabis? Yeah, that or just like, you know, I was holding myself back by telling you what I think about it, which is that like, I think it's crazy that the mechanism for enforcement is the thing that we were all like, Hey, we're going to stop doing that. Yeah. It's like, well, Hey, we're going to stop doing that. But if you have a little bit too much, we're going to keep doing that. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's basically what we're saying. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think that, uh, we became medicinal 
legal in our state because that was palatable to our conservative legislators. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way adult use got over the line was probably mostly money oriented because it was going to do the state nicely with the taxes, the revenue and so forth. And there was a strong lobby. Um, There were some like minor lobbyists, the patients and social equity people working towards its legalization. But, but generally we're a pretty conservative um, state in, in certain ways. Like we're, you know, we're, we're such an interesting Midwest state in terms Mm -hmm. of like, how we're progressive in certain ways and then very traditional in other ways. And I think that the way things have happened has a lot to do with that dance that the legislators have with one another, the back and the forth of it. Um, you know, when when it when the social equity piece was written in and those of us who read the bill when it came out and, and so we were talking about it, it was just very quickly obvious to us that in its execution, it was going to be really difficult um, for the um, for the in it was it was going to be it was like we were they were trying to wrong the history wrong the wrong they were trying to right the wrongs of the history of illegal cannabis but the ideas that they came up with to do that were going to be tricky as they were rolled out because like what were they putting in place to ensure success as an example. So like you're saying, okay, well, so now it, we need the social equity humans as designated by zip codes throughout the state that they determined were disproportionately impacted. Um, if you came from those zip codes, um, if you lived in those zip codes in the last 10 years or had lived there for 10 years, whichever one it was, and if you had someone who went to jail or you went, to, not you went to jail, but someone in your life, if you were impacted by the war on drugs one way or the other, then you could have you would get more points on your dispensary license. And so it was giving them a leg up. And so that felt really exciting on one hand. But mm-hmm. as as I was just saying, I just wanted to explain it better. It was a it was a big concern quickly, like, but how's that going to work out in execution? Because just because now I have a dispensary license doesn't mean that I know how to create a, a, and the infrastructure necessary to build up. Uh, an entire business. It doesn't mean you have business background. It doesn't mean that you have an understanding of the plant and how yeah. to work. How to fill plant. out an application. Those applications I mean, are so huge. many things, right? There's yeah. so many layers that like, right. That And so it was interesting. And some people, you know, some people feel like um, it was written exactly the way people wanted it because there was no real intention of it working out. And I don't believe that completely. I believe, of course, that there are already there, there are always sinister folks involved behind the scenes. That's just the history of the world tells us that. Um, so those people were there for sure. I don't believe that it was created in a way that purposely was imagined to be the shit show, the literal shit show that it's been in front of the whole country and the world, really. Um, I don't believe that it was that it was intended to be exactly that at all. I think there were good intentions, but I think it could have been a lot better had it considered how indeed we can support um, individuals who have little to no uh, business background and and bring them to success. That would have been the real, um, the real uh, like yeoman's effort, that's an old term, of, of, of offering our very best 
And we didn't do that. And so that was a worry very early on, which is in part why, as I mentioned way back at the beginning, um, that I got involved in offering my skills and my gifts to help um, uh, dispensary applications be as good as they can be in the areas that I felt like that I could well evaluate and give feedback. I did that. Like, cause so, cause like, I'm not going to analyze your business plan. That's not what I'm going to do best for you. Somebody else should do that. But so I wanted to be helpful in that way, but as it's turned out, I mean, there's nothing worse than promising something for someone who's aggrieved or who feels, um, that they've been treated poorly and then not only not do it, but but do it in a way that's painful. And what I mean by that is, as an example, the R3 um, grants that are given to mm -hmm. back to um, applicants who come from disproportionately, disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs communities who write applications about the good they're going to do if the state gives them money. Okay, so that's what they have to do. That's the R3 program for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah. Then they then those applications are accepted. They're, re, they're awarded the money in theory. And then it might take six months. It might take eight months. It might take who knows the hell how long they get that money to pay the people they've hired to make real on the promises they made in the application. So now all of a sudden, they've hired the people in their world who can do the things that they promised that they could deliver and they can't pay those people. Like. People aren't just sitting around doing lots of work and have like piles of money around that can support them while they're doing that work, right? They need to be paid for. So the state blows it in, a, in its bureaucracy confusion, doesn't give the people that money. But guess what else? The people who get those applications are expected to monthly present, present to, to give um, demonstrations in, 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 in paper form, you know, in written form of how they're doing the things that they said they were going to do, but they're not being paid for it. Now, excuse me, excuse me. That's worse in my mind than not giving them a chance at all, because you're literally setting them up for failure and heartbreak because what's worse. I can't think of anything really. I, I mean, there's a lot worse, but pretty up there is that you hire someone to do something and then you don't pay them back and you tell them, my hands are tied, I can't pay you. Why? Because the state isn't giving me the money. And then depending on what's happening at the state, those questions or those phone calls aren't even always returned. The explanations aren't always offered because there are in the teens of agencies overseeing all of these different um, cannabis, uh, the, all these different cannabis um areas the, the the regulated cannabis industry is overseen by is it 14 agencies how many agencies oversee it and I think so it's like that yeah yeah it's so confusing for anyone trying to get a straight answer whether you're just a patient or you're someone who's in the industry and so anyway that is just an example of like the heartbreak that can exist just for, for instance, R3 applicants who are supposed to um, benefit from adult use legalization. They're supposed to get the tax revenue money in the form of giving back to their community. And all of that in theory is beautiful. And for a long time, I was so proud. I took the Vermont, I, I like got this, this um, certificate in Vermont, at University of Vermont in cannabis as medicine that's mostly taken by doctors and nurses and I took that class. It was very difficult. I'm a humanities person. I'm not a science person, but I wanted to be able to speak articulately about the plan and what it does. 
And I know, you know, some people are only impressed by certificates and degrees. You know, some humans are like that. They uh, like yeah. life experience isn't enough for them. So I was doing it, you know, for that, especially because I want to teach at the university level, which I, I am now. Um, but I was really proud to tell anyone who would ever listen to me and whatever panel I was on about what the state was doing vis-a-vis social equity. And now instead we have egg in our face. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I agree with you that like, it wasn't probably totally malicious. I think that what they were sold was a false bill of goods. I think the, the idea of that this entire structure was made on, and I'm actually going to play, I know I want to wrap up here pretty soon. I want to be mindful of your time. Um, but I, I want to just say thank you for your time too. Um, thank you for being willing to have like such a long form conversation. I think that these conversations are important. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So, um, but I was going to play this clip. It's from four years ago. It was, uh, on May 4th, 2019. And I'm just going to play a short excerpt from it because it's a long speech. Um, but, but this will open me up to, to what I want to talk about here. Our doors are open. Over the past several weeks, many of those here today and stakeholders across the state joined six working groups to deliberate on the various components of legislation. Working groups looked at and incorporated best practices from other states that have legalized. The working groups also left behind what hasn't worked in other states and instead are proposing first in the nation programs to make sure that Illinois is a leader in equity. Starting with equity as our North Star, this framework reflects some of our most deeply held priorities for legalization. Equity guided the conversation on every component of this process from licensing and revenue to sentencing laws and expungement. In hindsight, a lot of states got it wrong on licensing because their programs ended up with the unintended consequence of a consolidated marketplace where only a few profit. And those communities that have been hurt are on the outside looking in. Hmm. So my thing about it is it, it seems like to to the it seems like the conversation was about social equity in the industry, not like social equity in our society. That's what this was about. Like we did decriminalize cannabis, but really the idea of social equity seems to mean, especially from like a lot of the licensees I've spoken to, it's this idea of market share. What does that mean though? Well, we have a limited market share. He just All talked right. about some some states issued too many licenses. And my thing about it is when I say a false bill of goods, I think that somebody made a very convincing pitch that this is a form of reparations. We're, we're going to, con- I don't know that they would have led with this, but we're going to continue the criminalization of cannabis, which will artificially inflate the value of your product, making this a potential opportunity to make intergenerational wealth. Mm-hmm. So we're, we are going to limit the issuance of licenses to guarantee you a market share, mm-hmm. which will also guarantee us a tax cut. And so in other words, everything outside of that regulated market share is competition, is a problem. 
and we have to enforce it with the color of the law. Again, I don't know that it was discussed this way. I think it was more so a very cunning pitch of like social equity is market share and and how do we ensure that to happen? And like you say, like you were saying earlier, what gets lost in the mix of it is like, even if you, you know, carve out this number of licenses for these people that that we all agree need help if you make it so complicated for them to get those licenses through application processes through regulatory burdens through all the other things you described like what did we really do because especially in like the first licensing round you you know you see it to go to yeah the licenses go to a lot of connected people so we corrected that going forward um, and I'm not saying that like sarcastically, I know it looked like that, but that's, that's what they said. We corrected yeah. it, um, going forward. And look, I know a lot of it remains to be seen if somebody true social equity comes on board, cause there haven't been a lot to open. But my question has been like, like that seems to be core and fundamental to this social equity idea. It's like, do, you know, like it can't be too easy um, for people to get in the business because then that cuts into social equity. And as JB Pritzker has said in the past, it edges them out. It's like, it's a weird way where we can't have it both ways. We're like trying to have our cake and eat it too, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I'm not saying that these people aren't entitled to this opportunity. Look, the way that um, an advocate described it in the past was like the original operators were entitled to that opportunity. There was a limited number of medical cannabis licenses and they got that market share so the way they view it is this is a way so that they get that same opportunity mm -hmm. and I, I like i i sort of get that pitch it just feels the word i've been using lately is sinister when you think about the mechanism of enforcement being yeah. the thing that causes the cycle that we're claiming to be right. addressing <laughs> you know a hundred percent a hundred percent um, I really you probably heard me say this too many times. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. It's, um, it's, it is interesting how state by state sort of as, as governor Pritzker was saying is exactly how the rollouts have been. And so now we have this even more dramatic thing playing out in New York, um, with, uh, I mean, that's just, a, that's, it's like each state to most of the time, except for some of the low key, um, East states, Eastern states. Uh, my takeaway is that there's just a new version of the cannabis shit show minus the occasional like low key, super small um, state that does it quietly and in a way that sort of works for their for their state, which is sort of how those smaller states work economically anyway. Um, I, I I very much I I love I, I love um, Governor Pritzker's lieutenant governor. I love every speech that he makes about how we can do better by women and how we can do better by people of disabilities and we can do better by people of color. And I am all in for the way that he talks and I'm all in for the way that he walks a lot of those initiatives. He he does put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, um, and having strong women around him, strong women of color around him and um, and diverse diverse voices. I'm I'm truly grateful. There's no but. It's just a new paragraph, which is I, I, there are lots of opportunities on how we can do better with cannabis, regulated cannabis in our state. And it would be a real shame if we think we've done enough in all these categories, whether it's by way of medical patients, by our, uh, anything related to cannabis justice, 
and on. It would be a real shame if we think we're done because we're not. And I'm, I'm just hopeful that the appetite for uh, improvement and, um, and, and, and real change isn't lost. Um, it's, I know it's not lost on the advocacy side. Uh, I know that personally because I'm involved and also uh, my ears to the ground on that, but I'm, I'm so, and I, and our Aaron Johnson, our new crew, um, our cannabis regulation oversight, uh, oversight officer, Aaron Johnson, and she's just fabulous. I was talking to her at the grown in like think tank Burnham thing that took place all day yesterday it was amazing by the way. Yeah. I'll show you and I know well, I did, I did email you cause I was thinking like, cool, this is going to be good stuff for you. But anyway, um, I talked to Erin for a good long time. She's excellent. She is smart as, I mean, each one, every single crew officer, frankly, been fantastic and yeah. smart and experienced and perfectly placed for the position. It's a yeah. tough position, um, but I'm hopeful in my conversation with Erin uh, just to see how she really seems to have an excellent grasp on the complexity that is Illinois' regulated cannabis market. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope to have her on the show, uh, sometime right. in the future. Uh, we've, uh, we'll be in inviting her. I think I sent an invitation in the past. Um, but it might've been like, you know, in the new days where they're busy and stuff. So I need to re-extend. Yeah. Um, re oh, come on. She'll be a great guest for you. Yeah. Well, I wanted to play a quick clip and then we can wrap up this. Okay. This makes my point. Uh, once again, it's a very short clip, uh, uh, basically of our governor saying something that I referenced earlier. So I feel like it's important for me to to play the actual clip so that people know I wasn't just like pulling that out of my, uh, you know what? <laughs> so, um, We've limited the number of licensees in part because we wanted to make sure that the social equity licensees had a fair shot in the industry and they weren't just edged out to the very end uh, and by, you know, having too many dispensaries in the market so that people can't make money, uh, entrepreneurs who open places like uh, Ivy Hall. So uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, in many ways, I, I think that the what you all uh, view as a, you know, as a slow plotting process is also one that uh, ends up with, um, you know, the, the right uh, um, regulation and the right laws in place and the industry growing at a pace that will allow social equity to take place within the entire cannabis industry, which is one of the purposes of it. We've seen right there. He said it very clearly. It's social equity within the industry. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, so, and I'm like, I'm all down for that idea, but I guess, and I know that it's easy for me to do this as the podcaster, but just to wrap up with some fun thoughts, like, wouldn't it have been nice if we made sure that like restaurants weren't edged out of the industry during COVID? Yeah, like yeah. It, it's very interesting how we take this like cannabis businesses cannot fail in Illinois yeah. approach, but every other business you can like go fuck yourself basically. Right. Right. That is interesting. That is interesting. It, it almost feels like it shines um, a light on uh, a priority that is very high on his list, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I get it. I get it. You wouldn't want, especially if you made a carved out opportunities for social equity licensees that you wouldn't want one of them to go out of business like that certainly be a bad headline. Um, but like it's also kind of the sign of a healthy market in certain circumstances. You know what I mean? We all accept that restaurants go out of business and 
like 80% of them in the first five years, I think is the stat. Yeah. And like, that's like a healthy thing, you know, and it, it's good that people can open it up and figure right. out it didn't work and right. hang it up. <laughs> right. It is so interesting. It really, it, it seems like it was um, volatile and also exciting and uh, confusing and dramatic those days, those final days of exactly what went into the bill. It really feels to me like it would be a great, you know, there are going to be a million different HBO series or movies oh, yeah. on the topic of cannabis. Like we're, we're set for a hundred years, and especially since it's not over and it changes all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. Like uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, I watched a, a a press conference they held shortly before the bill was passed. So you know how it is. Like you said, the final few days, things kind of got mixed up. And one of the things that did go out the door was home grow for all. And it, but it's interesting to watch an earlier press conference. JB Pritzker gets asked, Hey, is home grow included? And he's like, uh, uh, and I believe representative stains, uh, uh, stepped to the podium and said, yes, home grow is included five, five for adults. So at the time, Yep. It was very interesting to see that that actually was our direction. Of course, that's no longer, but it, you know, like you say, there's going to be, that's on video. There's going to be like history um, documentaries on this stuff in the future. And maybe you'll be on it since you're a part of the, uh, you know, adult use cannabis health advisory committee and such. So I like that you're grab when you're doing your research, you're grabbing all the interviews, you're grabbing all the broadcast journal and pieces. That's really cool. That's because that's where a lot of it, that's really where most people are probably experiencing it. Even though mm -hmm. there has been some excellent reporting, I think that there should be more print uh, coverage of it, um, most certainly. But um, that's real. I'm so glad that that's, that you're incorporating that into it. Cause that's, that's actually, that's evidence. That's the truth. That's history right. in the making. Every single yeah. speech, history in the making. Yeah. You know, like it, it was crazy to be able to like, like you said, I was able to write down these quotes, but then I'm able to link like if you just want to watch the video, yeah. here it is, right. you know, because um, most people wouldn't believe that, for example, I'm just going to do a control F on this document. If I do a control F, which for some reason it's not working uh, and do rat poison, mm -hmm. that is something that was said at a... um. I don't know why my computer is bugging out on me right now, but uh, that is something that was said at a press conference here um, by Heather Staines. She took to the stand and said, Kelly Cassidy and I first introduced this bill over two years ago. I'd come to the conclusion that prohibition simply does not work. Nearly 800,000. Sorry. Too often we have unsafe products that are laced with rat poison and fentanyl. We hear about people dying from this. Teens report easy access for a Five teens say it's easy to access cannabis products and cannabis or sorry, and communities have been devastated by the impacts of war on drugs. But I like got, I wrote that down because that's a crazy quote. Yeah. Just to be is. honest. Um, but I also have it on video. So it's like important, like you say, to be able to, you know, so that people don't think I just like made it up. Like it's on video too. So. But that also highlights too, not, but, and that highlights a, a thought I'm having additionally, which is scare tactics seem like a really powerful way um, for people to try to um, enact change. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame because 
um, you know, building ideas around fear and then you just have to keep everybody afraid is really like a very negative model for how we live our best lives as humans and how we regulate uh, the laws and rules around human coexistence. And so, you know, like in, again, in my ideal world, we're legalizing cannabis around its benefits, around what it can do for us. And, and that actually brings me back to conversations we've had on our board. We've had conversations just like that. Like, are we talking about what we need to be careful in avoiding cannabis? Or are we talking about, and when we do take it, how we need to be careful? Or are we talking about like why we even legalized it, which are the right. benefits of cannabis in our life? Right. It's really an interesting way of like going at anything. But um, I, 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 I'm, I'm like thinking back to that time and really I'm going over it in my mind differently now as you, as you share that quote, because that's, Really, we're going to legalize cannabis so that our kids stop buying on the street fentanyl laced cannabis? Like what? <laughs> right. Well, and <laughs> like you say, it is a very effective form, whether or not we agree with it or not, of enacting change, scare tactics. So that's yeah. an example. Another one that we recently talked about on the podcast was like the whole vape scare, which may or may not have been a real thing. But my yeah. thing that, that I thought was interesting and that my friend pointed out about it is it's funny that the symptom of that was, well, you need to always buy legal. Right, right. Because then right. you'll avoid that. And it's like, OK, as if like, right. you know, um, so but uh, yeah, there's so many different examples of scare tactics. The thing we we're talking about with Sam earlier, like yes. that is an example of scare yes. tactics being used Fair. to just. Totally. Uh, the the Delta Eight thing, I think, was yes. completely a, a PR storm, just God. playing on people's uh, parents' fears. You know, hundred percent, hundred percent. And then, I, I mean, that's what hijacked. In the end, that's what hijacked the omnibus bill and yeah. all this amazing, smart, common sense cannabis regulation that should be. I mean, the fourteen thousand square feet more for the craft growers. Really, yeah. really, really. Why? Why can't we have that? Why can't, I mean, I'm not one. Why can't they have that? It feels like a we, cause I'm in it with them. Like that's ridiculous. What? Yeah. And I've been making the point that they should get much more than that lately, yes. you know, I, with the outdoor cultivation that we've yes. seen. So but, interesting. Um, but I was just going to share a tweet that I saw earlier, just to your point, they actually won. What you're describing is they won. So uh, it, I saw a tweet the other day that said something like, Verano or one of the companies has made millions since the 280E. Oh, here it is. Archos, which is the head of Verano, yeah. said 280E offsets passed into law in Connecticut, Illinois, and New Jersey were a, quote, major victory, end quote, that have saved Ver Verano millions already. Yeah, 280E was big. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that for folks like they were going to win either way. With yeah. the um and and they will argue some of those cannabis companies that pushed for that that everybody wins from 280e because now every cannabis operator in Illinois doesn't have to worry about 280e I guess because yeah. this was passed but it most primarily directs the people that are already in business right. um so well um wow we've I knew we were gonna have fun today but what we really had a lot of fun I wanted to plug really quick just because you brought it up or we brought it up earlier episode 263 as David Franco former law enforcement officer um I said the one with Howard Woldridge earlier 
The episode with Jordan Davidson and Justin Streckel, the debate, is episode 226, if folks want to check that out. Um, I'm going to check out Smoke Signals by Martin Lee. These two. Good. And um, yeah, uh, I want to thank you. This won't be the last time we chat, but we really covered a lot of different topics, and um, I just appreciated a lot of uh, what you had to say today. So thanks, thanks for joining for me. Thanks for doing the work. It's really important. I'm so glad that you're doing it. Nobody else is. So keep it up. We need it. Yeah. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, you said very nice things throughout this show. And um, I didn't want to interrupt you while you were saying them, but thank you. Uh, you just said another nice thing. Thank you again uh, for being so kind. And um, yeah, I appreciate that feedback more than more than you can imagine. So thank you. You're welcome. Cool. All right, folks, I hope you found as much value in this conversation as I did. It was a good one. We'll see you on the next episode of the podcast. Take care.